Tonight on Steel Toes and Scoreboards, we revisit one of the craziest, most unpredictable, shocking World Series of all time, the 1997 World Series between the Cleveland Indians and the fifth year in existence, Florida Marlins. Steel Toes and Scoreboards Podcast. Word association, Dirty Curdy, first thing that comes to mind. He changed the league, am I wrong? God, I hate Tom Brady. He's talented, but yeah. You just won't call him the goat, will you? We should have called ourselves the Hashtag Tits Podcast. A thousand downloads a day, guaranteed. Dude, it is talking sports. I love it, bro. <laughs> Is he the best running back you've ever seen? If he's not, then who is? Who do you put at number one, bro? There will be a Detroit Pistons Bad Boys episode one day. And you love that two-year run, don't you? No, I do. You can get a hot bat anywhere. You build around your pitching, or at least I do if I'm in charge. Pitching and defense wins your World Series, hands down. I came out of the closet as a Lakers fan. Whoa, bro. Scared me there for a second. Uh, sure bet. Sure bet. <laughs> there will be an increase of boxing talk on this show. I love boxing. I'm down for that anytime. Our few non-sports episodes have been pretty well received. We do get things by running a two-fold podcast. Please put Pete Rose in the damn Hall of Fame. Charlie Hustle, the all-time hits leader. It's political bullshit, and if he ever sees the Hall of Fame, he'll be after he's no longer with it. I miss the NBA I grew up on in the 90s and the early 2000s. The game isn't the same, but these kids can play. We're starting to talk more hockey, and that's, you know, it's, that's never a bad thing. Puck the world, puck it all. Puck the world, <laughs> Kurt says. I promise you, I can work a pro wrestling reference into every episode. Want to see me do it? Weird flex, but okay. I can't believe... Seriously, in all seriousness, I can't believe we've been doing this show a year now. I can't believe people still listen after a year, you know. You have the perfect face for radio. Oh, cut me deep, son. (laughs) Cut me deep. He exploded a bird with a fastball. I seen it happen. Randy Johnson, the big unit. The the big unit. So, uh, you know, I I got a little soccer news for you. Now, let me stop you right there. That's a no for me. We don't talk soccer on this show. All right, fair enough. Let me ask you, though. Does Kobe win three in a row without Shaq on the Lakers? What do you think? Boy, that's, that's uh, it's pretty tough. All right, well, look at it this way. He's a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Without question. And he's still so young. Lots of knowledge left in that kid. All right, guys, enjoy the next episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards coming to you now. Alright guys, welcome to another episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards. Jared Atkins alongside the homie Kurt Kelly. What's up? What's up, man? Oh, much. Postseason baseball. Postseason baseball. Yes, sir. And what better way to do that than to have a... I don't really want to talk about it. World Series episode. 
You don't really want to talk about Dodgers. You're uh, the one seed. The one seed is no more. Choke City. And yet my team, who I didn't give any hope for any postseason aspirations. is playing good ball. Is playing in the NLCS tonight against playing, the Padres. Playing pretty good baseball. Yeah, who would have thought that, right? Oh, uh, well, Bryce Harper. I mean. Castellanos. Yeah, Castellanos can rake. So, timestamp for posterity here. It is uh, Saturday night, October 22nd, 2022. And uh, we love doing World Series oh, yeah. recaps. Oh, yeah. And uh, we are going to uh, do an anniversary series. As I've mentioned on a couple of episodes recently, I've been doing some homework. And uh, I've been going back uh, for this year, next year, and 2023 and looking at every World Series in five- and ten-year-old intervals. So this year would be every World Series ending in a year two or a year seven. Right. So earlier this year in January when I had COVID, we went back 20 years right. to the 2002 right. World Series. And tonight we're going to go back 25 years to the 1997 World Series. Yeah. Cleveland Indians. Florida Marlins. Florida Marlins. Yes. Five years in existence. Five years in existence. First postseason appearance, yeah. and they make the World Series. And, uh, and do they win? I don't know. Uh-huh. So, we'll go ahead and start this, get this out of the way. Any information presented tonight is factual to the best of our research. Damn skippy. And if we play any audio tonight, all the audio played uh, copyrights and it's the intellectual properties of the rightful fucking people and all that mumbo-jumbo. Tell them, brother. Something about Copyright Fair Use Act, 1980-something, I don't know. You get the gist of it. Right. Uh, So, let's get into it. Yes. This was... uh, I text you... Last night, yeah, and I told you I said uh, I was ten years old when this World Series happened, and I don't remember it being this good, but it turned out to be better than what I remembered. Uh, yeah, pretty good World and Series, I, and per, and I'm of the opinion that anytime you get a Game Seven World Series, it's a damn good yeah, series. Right. I have to agree with that. But this one was kind of deceptively good. Yes, and uh, a lot of big names. The, uh, so, the 1997 World Series was played between the Cleveland Indians and the Florida Marlins. This was the 93rd edition of the World Series. Uh, of course, the AL champion Indians, the NL champion Marlins. The Cleveland Marlins, I don't think anybody would argue, they were the heavily not favored underdogs. Right. right. Um. Game 7 was decided in extra innings on a walk-off single hit. Um, so the Indians had advanced to the World Series, which we'll get into that, by defeating the defending 1996 World Series champions, uh, New York Yankees, New York Yankees in yeah. the ALDS, three games to two, and then played one of the, you know, Kurt and I have only covered one baseball recap besides his Commissioner Kelly episode, which is all of our episodes are available in the archives wherever you get your podcasts at. But we, last October, uh, about a year ago, this time, this week, actually, I think, we did the 2004 ALCS, yep. Yankees yep. Red Sox. Yep. That is the only time we've ever done a, something that's not been a World, World Series. Series. Right. And the uh, Cleveland played Baltimore in the ALCS. They beat them four games or two, but that was a damn good. Yeah. Series two, and I I love me some Mike Messina. Oh yeah. So um, 
The Marlins, on the other hand, advanced the World Series by defeating the San Francisco Giants. They swept them three yep. games to none. Yep. And then they got in a a questionable slug fight with the uh, their division rivals and the team that pretty much dominated their division for 10, 15 years, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, beat them four games to two. Questionable. Yeah. Levian Hernandez. Uh, yeah. He had a strike zone as big as my big ass in some of those games. But, yeah. uh, but they would reach the World Series setting a record by being uh, by the, being the only team to reach a World Series in just their fifth year of existence. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. They had a pretty good skipper, you know? Yeah, uh, they did. Um, this was the fourth time in World Series history a Game 7 had went to extra innings. And the most recent was, of course, the 2016 World Series, which featured the Cleveland uh, Indians. And the Kansas City Royals? No. no Chicago Cubbies. Cubbies. That's right. For some reason, I was thinking. And something that's fun about this? Yeah. Puss, Hattie O'Girl. Hattie O'Girl. The Marlins Championship made them the first wildcard team to ever win okay. the World Series. Cool. Speaking of wildcard. Yeah. So... I hate to say it. I, I, I was getting ready to ask, so I don't. I don't get to see you every day anymore. We don't work together anymore. It bugs the shit out of but me. But we we talk during the week. We talk baseball, yeah. and you texted me the other night. You hate this new. I don't postseason baseball three, format. Three game series. Huh. <laughs> we play one hundred and sixty-two games in a season, and you have a three-game series that could decide your fate. Ain't that some shit? That's some shit. <laughs> uh, um, I'm just saying. I mean, all right. So, uh, you know, we got we got a lot to cover. It's. I mean, this I might mean, be. How many teams are they letting in the playoffs now? Fuck. Fuck. Everybody gets participation trophy now. Huh? So you got all three division winners, and then how many wild card spots? That's just where it's at. It's like three wild card spots, maybe four. Yeah, something like no th- six seeds, right? I think so. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, uh, before we get too far into it, let's uh, let's uh, keep the lights on. So. Yep. All right, guys. So check out Glary Guitars on Facebook, or check them out at glarymusic.com. Uh. Very reasonable, very affordable instruments. I bought a couple acoustics last year, uh, $80, and very little setup out of the box. And they played like uh, a $300 guitar would play. And uh, I call mine the Canon guitar. But anyways, their their customer service is top of the line. Uh, Give them a call at area code 606-404-6286. That's 606-404-6286. Reach out to them on Facebook, social media. You will not be disappointed in the holiday season's coming up. Yep. Get that youngster a learning guitar. Good thing to thump. Yeah, inspiring uh, musician in your family. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. Pay the bill. Yep. High five. High five. Okay. Now, uh, before we turn the mics on, we were talking about the commentary and the broadcasting of the World yeah, Series. Yeah. Well, I got some stuff in here. Okay. It's not of importance, but it's important to me. I have a soft spot for listening to baseball on the radio. Right. I mean, I love watching it, 
But I have a soft spot. It's old timey. Right. So, you know, all those years ago, I spent 10 years working in that shithole down at the foundry. You know, a deathly place. I wouldn't want anybody to, you know, it's just. I used to love listening to postseason baseball on ESPN radio. They had a local affiliate out of Owensboro, right. 102.7 okay. the game. Yeah. So I would love postseason baseball. I'd listen to the World Series when they'd come. I'd listen to Sunday night baseball right, games. They'd, right, they'd right. play them. Uh, this would be the last World Series broadcast on CBS Radio, which had covered every World Series since 1976. Really? So you're looking at 21 years? 21 years, yeah. Okay. Uh, ESPN Radio would take over the national radio contract for Major League Baseball the following year. Here's a name Kurt loves. Vin Scully <laughs> and Jeff Torberg were the CBS Radio's announcer for the World Series. Uh, this was Scully's 11th and final World Series call for CBS Radio and his seventh straight since he rejoined the network following NBC's loss of baseball in 1989. Who didn't love Vin Scully? Who didn't love Vin Scully? It's time. I can't do it as good as you. I, I can't do it. It's at time all. for Dodger baseball. Yeah. Um, this would be Vin Scully's 25th and final World Series broadcast overall. Uh, of course, he would still continue to call games for many years. Uh, this marked the first time since 1988 that NBC would televise a World Series in its entirety. Which I just, it's, you know, this is stuff's important to me. It's not really that important in the overall right. scheme of things. Uh, it's pretty cool facts, though. Yeah. Uh, since 2001, Fox has become the exclusive television network for the World Series, a contract that is still valid yet through 2029. And they signed it in 2001. And you know they're paying a lot of dollars for those rights to carry it. So, um, Joe DiMaggio joined the booth. Yes, he did. Yeah, game two. Game two. Uh, alongside Bob Costas, who did a good job. Yeah, Bob Costas did a good job. Bob Uecker. I like it. And, of course, we talked about it. Who doesn't love Joe Morgan? Joe Morgan. Joe That's Morgan. Uh, you know, when I think a lot of baseball, it usually – as far as hearing the commentary, a lot of it goes Joe Morgan, Joe Buck, probably Bob Costas. Right. I'm, so I thought Bob Euchre did a good job. He did a fantastic job. I mean, he's a pretty knowledgeable guy when it comes to baseball. He did a fantastic job. He's more uh, knowledgeable than McCarver. Um, before we get started, which I keep saying that, we're just we're, we're, we're appetizing right, right now. Right. Uh, I'd like to point out a couple of things, if you'll let me, that I thought was interesting about the year of Major League Baseball in 1997. Okay. You you're cool with that? Yeah. Uh, so this was the inaugural season for something you and I like to talk about a lot when we work together, interleague play. Right. Uh, it was the final season in the American League for Milwaukee before they moved to the NL. Right. This was also a year that the California Angels renamed and become the Anaheim, Anaheim Angels. Angels. Uh, March 5th of 1997, Nellie Fox, Tommy Lasorda, right. and Willie Wells are elected to the Hall of Fame by the Veterans Committee. April 15th, and I just think this is fucking awesome. April 15th of 1997, one of the coolest things in Major League Baseball history happened. Bud Selick, the asshole, <laughs> uh, on the 50th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's debut in Major League Baseball, 
the number 42 that he wore right. with the Brooklyn Dodgers right. would be unilaterally retired by every team in the league during a ceremony between the Dodgers and the Mets at the old Shea Stadium. Ah. Yes. Uh, the number would be worn by players during the anniversary of his league debut, and it would still be worn if you chose by players who wore the number before the announcement was made, but no new player would get issued that number. Uh, most famously, the greatest closer in baseball history, Mariano Mariano Inner Sandman Rivera, oh, yes. wore number 42 until he retired. Huh. Becoming the last player in the league to wear number 42. Right. Uh, something that gets my heart going. Call back to our uh, World Series episode last year, the 91 World Series. On May 25th and 97, the Twins would retire Kirby Puckett's number 34. Oh, dude. Kirby Puckett. Can I, can, can I just... Uh, yeah, for sure. Damn it, not that one. Yes. I love Kirby Puckett. Oh, dude. Like, we, we talk about Kirby Puckett at work all the time. Great center fielder. Tremendous. Kyle, on your way. Defensively and great. Oh, God. Kirby was the man. He hit around 300 every year, you know. That's no shit. Yeah. Uh, no gloves. You like Kyle Ripken? <laughs> Does he have wild bear shit in the woods? May 31st of that year, he snapped a seven-inning tie with a record-breaking home run. Uh, his homer would give him 4,274 total bases with the Baltimore franchise. Um, what else we got? Uh, there, I got something here that's going to blow your mind. And, uh, I mean, I was 10 years old in 1997. Baseball was becoming my big fix along with wrestling. Uh, there's a girl named Lila Borders who played of the St. Paul Saints of the Northern League minor league ball team. She was one of the first female pitchers in the minor leagues. What now? She made her debut. She was a female minor league pitcher. Okay. I just thought that was cool. That is cool. Uh, August 31st, Don Mattingly. Yeah. I had you at Don Mattingly. Oh, yeah, he definitely had me. Uh, Has his number 23 retired by the Yankees? And here's a big one. September 10th, 1997. This was the year before... The greatness of me being 11 years old watching Sosa and McGuire in 98. So a year before that, September 97, Mark McGuire would join Babe Ruth as the only players in Major League history with 50 home runs in consecutive seasons by hitting a 446-yard or foot bomb (laughs) off of the San Francisco Giants. So, all right. Love some Big Mac early days. Uh, since these uh, DSs and uh, CSs series didn't go that long, I put them in here. Right. I know sometimes we skip them, right. but I think to tell the story, maybe we ought to go through them unless yeah. you object. No, no. Okay, so let's start off with the Cleveland Indians, folks. This was their second World Series in three seasons. Right. So doing pretty good. Right. Uh, the 97 Indians... Uh, won 86 games, lost 75 games, finished first in their division. Uh, they played their home games, of course, at Jacobs Field, where they estimate 3.4 million fans witnessed 1997 baseball. Can we still say Indians? I'm saying Cle- they were Cleveland Indians here. I'm just checking. I'm going to say it. 
Yeah. I ain't scarred. Yeah. So, <laughs> it did. So, so, game one went down in the Bronx, uh, and the Yankees would win that game 8-6. to six. Uh, We saw a, a matchup between one of Kurt's favorite players of all time. Who do you think they sent to the mound in game one? Ex-Dodger. Or not Dodger. <laughs> Oral Hershiser. Oral Hershiser. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the top of the first, Kurt's favorite thing to say, Bip Roberts. Bip Roberts. Bip fucking Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. He, he would draw a leadoff walk. He was a pesky leadoff hitter. He was sneaky. He was sneaky. That, that's he could break, sneaky. too. Yeah, he could break. So he'd draw a leadoff walk. He'd steal second. Oh, yeah. And then he would move to third on a sacrifice bunt and scored on a very, very, very young Manny Ramirez yeah. single. And what does speed do to a defense? Oh, a absolutely. Uh, Ramirez would move on to second on another single and then to third on a force out before scoring on the wild pitch. Uh, Matt Williams, deceptive. That's yeah, going to be the word tonight. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of deceptiveness on this team. Yeah, there's a lot of good, lot of good baseball. Players. You know, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and throw a I'm gonna go ahead and throw a hot take out at you. Okay. The 1995 Cleveland Indians yeah. were probably a better team. Yeah. But the 1997 Indians were probably a gutsier, more grinded out team. Overachievers. You know, I, 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 may, I don't know. Maybe I'm 50 50 on that. Maybe. Right, right. I definitely think this team was more gutsy. Yes. They had a little more heart, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, anyways, the game goes. Where are we at here? Fuck. <laughs> uh, Matt Williams got hit by a pitch. Sandy Alomar had a three run homer. The first of. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this, and this is going to come up later during the World Series. Uh, Sandy Alomar's three-run homer would be the start of his first postseason record, 19 RBIs in the 1997 postseason. That's, uh, 10 of which we would come to find out he'd later get in the World Series. That's uh, getting her done, folks. 19 RBIs in the postseason, 10 of them alone in the World Series. Right. You're looking at roughly what? If you go seven games all the way through the World Series. What? Almost one a game. So at, at bats, how many at bats? Four bats a game? Four or five. So how many games did it take to win? Four. That's if you get to a clean sweep, that's four. Getting, that's getting her done. So, uh, I lost my train of thought. The Yankees would load the bases in the second inning on a single and two walks. Uh, no outs. Scored on a run on a Wade Boggs force out. The Indians would get that run back in the fourth when Marquise Grissom tripled and scored on Robert's single. Tino Martinez. It's a name we've never Never mentioned mentioned on the show. Tino Martinez. Somewhere, you know, this whole sports card thing, side hobby. Somewhere I have a Tino rookie card. Did he come up a Mariner? I'm pretty damn sure he did. He come up a Mariner or he finished a Mariner? No, he can't be. He come up a Mariner. I got a rookie card somewhere. Uh, he would hit a home run in the bottom half to cut the lead down to six to two, and then in the next inning, a leadoff single uh, and a double. Tim Ravine sacrifice fly made it six three Indians. 
You move to the sixth inning, the Yankees completed a five-run comeback. Wade Boggs singled one out, moved to third on a ground out, and scored on Ray Sanchez's single. And then Tim Raines, a young Derek Jeter, and Paul O'Neill would hit three straight home runs to give the Yankees an 8-6 edge. And then the... The link, the Yankees bullpen would not give this up because they brought in the greatest closer yes. in baseball history. Yes. So game two, back in the Bronx again. Uh, Cleveland would get their comeuppance here. They would they would win this game seven to five. Uh, this was a it, kind of a mismatch because you've got this uh, rookie named Jarrett Wright. Facing off against arguably one of my all-time favorite pitchers, even though he was a Yankee, uh, Andy Pettit. Oh yeah. In Game Two, after three straight one-out walk, one-out walks would load the bases in the bottom of inning number one. The Yankees would jump out to a 3-0 first inning lead on a two-run double by Martinez and a sacrifice fly by Charlie Hayes. So we moved to the top of the fifth with two on three straight RBI singles by David Justice. Sandy Alomar and Jim Tomey. Tomey would tie the game. And then Tony Fernandez, which we were talking about yeah, off air. Yeah. Love me some Tony Fernandez. Oh, yeah. His two run double would put Cleveland up five to three. The very next inning, Matt Williams' two run home run extended the lead seven to three. The Yankees would get two runs against uh, Jose Mesa on Mike Stanley's bases loaded hit by pitch in the eighth. And Derek Jeter's home run in the ninth, but the Indians' lead held, and the series would be tied at two game or one game apiece. So then we go to Game Three in Cleveland, and the Yankees whip that ass. A uh, little pee pee spanking going on. The <laughs> Yankees will win that game six to one. Ooh. So here we got David Wells on the mound against Charles Nagy. Yeah, overmatched there. I think David Wells was tough. Damn Not good, one of my favorites, but damn uh, good left-handed pitcher. I will say solid, 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 solid. Every every time out, you knew what he's getting. Solid. Not it's not going to blow your socks off, nope. but it's solid. It's going to be there, yeah. So an error by Nagy would get gave Wells a 1-0 lead in the first on Paul O'Neill's RBI single with two on, but Cleveland would come back to tie the game in the second on Tony Fernandez force out with two on. So Derek Jeter would then give the Yankees the lead in the third when he walked, stole second, and scored on Tino Martinez's RBI. In the fourth inning, the Yankees loaded the bases off three walks by Charles Nagy. Uh-huh. He struggled with his control at times. And, you know, we were talking about how much yeah. I love Nagy yeah. before we started recording. Uh, before Paul O'Neill would hit a grand slam off Chad Oche. Oche. From Louisiana, Oche. And okay. you listen to him talk, you can tell. Right. <laughs> that gave them... I got some fun stuff about him Cajun. in Game 7, by the way. Cajun. The Cajun. Uh, he would give them a commanding 6-1 lead, and Jacobs Field went silent. Uh, so we go to Game 4 in Cleveland. And Cleveland and a nail-biter would win this one 3-2. to two. So, game four was memorable because you had, and I know you're going to love this, you had two veteran high-priced arms on the mound. Uh, one of your favorite people to shit on sometimes, just because we like to pick on it. <laughs> and you, and you, I think you know, don't you? Uh, well, I mean, we shit on So, we got right Oral Hershiser, <laughs> yeah. 
and we've got Dwight Gooden. Gooden. And this was a back and forth bout. This is what remember when we used the term a couple episodes ago when we did our last World Series. I I got a I got a baseball chubby. Yeah. A pitching chubby. Right, pitching right. gives me yeah. pitching chubbies. <laughs> this was a pitching chubby. Right. So the Yankees would however, this didn't come without some surprises. The Yankees would jump out to a two oh lead in the first when Derek Jeter hit a one out double and scored on an RBI double by Paul O'Neill. Uh, Cecil Fielder yeah. hit an RBI single. This was all they could muster off Hershiser, whose postseason legend had continued to improve. And we get to some we got some we got some Hershiser postseason talk in game He's one of the World bulldog. Series. Oh yeah. Well, well was. Was. So in suspense I keep you. <laughs> so now Gooden and the Yankees bullpen kept the Indians scoreless until the bottom of the eighth inning. That's impressive. Right. Okay. So doing Yankee things. Do the Yank hey, we we have turned that phrase into something for so many people. Yeah. But it all started with the Yankees. The yes. Yankees do Yankee, Yankee things. things. Yes. So <laughs> dude, I'm having fun with this episode. I, this is gonna be one of the best ones we've ever done. So scoreless till bottom of the eighth inning. Two outs and the greatest closer in baseball history Mariano. on the mound. Mariano Rivera right. on the mound. It pretty much when I went back and watched the hot, because I don't, I don't really watch the DS or CS games. Right. I just watch highlights. Right. The World Series games are the ones I watch the full games on when I'm doing prep. So it looked like, and you could see it in Cleveland's face, like they're just they're done. Their right. goose is cooked, right? So Rivera had 43 saves during the regular season that year, uh, but Sandy Alomar, yeah. Would homer to tie the game, and that homer is what started giving birth to this postseason legacy that he had going in 1997, which we'll get into way later in the episode. This would be Rivera's only blown save in the playoffs until the 2001 World Series, which we will cover eventually, Yankees and Diamondbacks, 9-11. In the ninth inning, Kurt's homie, Marquise Grissom, singled to lead off the inning off Ramiro Mendoza. Ramiro Mendoza. And a bunt moved him to second, and Vasquez would hit a single that rolled past Jeter into the outfield, which would allow Grissom to come score the game-winning run. So here we go. It's put up or shut up time. It's game five. So we're tied two apiece in Cleveland, and Cleveland squeaks one out here over the Yankees four to three. Uh, uh, yeah. How did that end? We shall find out right now. We shall. So we take Andy Pettit and the the rookie Jared Wright to the mound once again. Cleveland takes a 3-0 lead in the third after two one-out singles, uh, which were followed by two-out, two-run double by a young Manny Ramirez. I can't stress how young 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 he was was. in 97. Yeah, Uh, And an RBI single by Matt Williams. Sandy Alomar would double to lead off any number four and would get all the way to third on a sacrifice bunt and score on a fly by Tony Fernandez to make it 4-0 Cleveland. So the Yankees gave the Indians uh, some trouble, uh, a cause to pause, you could call it, in the fifth when errors were committed by both Sandy Alomar and Manny Ramirez, which would allow two runs to score on Bernie Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams single. 
Bernie Williams could rake. Bernie Williams could rake. So then Mike Stanley comes up and he hits a leadoff double in the sixth and scored on Wade Boggs' pinch hit RBI to make it a one-run game. The score remained 4-3 and the Yankees uh, would blow multiple chances to take the lead. The Indians had their shared chances to put the series away. Uh, The frustration mounted in the ninth when Paul O'Neill's two-out double gave Bernie Williams a chance to hit the go-ahead home run off Jose Mesa. But Mesa got Williams to fly out to Brian Giles to end the series, which would ensure 1997 would see a new champion crown. Brian Giles. Brian Giles. Pretty good spot player. Pretty good spot player. So in the 1997 AL Division Series, uh, it was pretty close. Uh, Cleveland mustered 21 runs off 43 hits. And the Yankees managed 24 runs off of 43 hits. So the Yankees uh, outscored. Yeah. And still lost. Now, I think I remember something, uh, the first game of the World Series where Euchre and Morgan are talking about that in Costas. I think. About how both teams' offenses were. So now this one did get me excited. I did enjoy the highlights here. We're going to move to the ALDS or ALCS, excuse me, between Cleveland and Baltimore. Game one going down at the legendary Camden Yards. Uh, Cleveland would get swept in this game. They lose three nothing. Uh, Scott Erickson, yeah, would start, yeah, against Chad Ocho. Cinco. Chad Oche. <laughs> Oche. Uh, the Orioles would take a 1-0 series lead on a strong performance by Erickson, who gave up four hits, all singles, over eight innings of work. He had a, a damn good 12-6 curveball, if I remember I right. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Um, uh, Orioles center fielder Brady Anderson took Perfect. Chad Oje's first offering in the bottom of the first out the park. They went yard at Camden Yards to take a 1-0 lead. In the bottom of the third, Anderson's double was followed by a Roberto Alomar. Yeah. Sandy Alomar's little, bro. little brother. Uh, giving Erickson a 3-0 cushion. And then, uh, tell me if this name sounds familiar. Randy Myers. Yes, sir. Didn't we just uh, have a World Series talking about yes, him? in 90. The Nasty Boys. Yes, the Nasty Boys. Uh, he pitched a clean ninth inning for a save. So, game two, still in Camden Yards. This one, a little different story. Cleveland bounces back, squeaks one out, five to four. Uh, Let's see who. In game two, you'd have Charles Nagy and Jimmy Key. Jimmy Key. Jimmy Key. Yeah. Key allowed a two-run homer to Manny Ramirez in the top of the first. Nagy would also allow a two-run homer in the bottom of the second to the real Iron Man. Cal, Cal Ripken, Ripken Jr. Yes. Uh, Mike Bordrick. Yeah. Got a couple of his cards. Yeah. He'd hit a go-ahead two-run single off Nagy in the sixth that would knock Nagy out of the game. Uh, with Cleveland trailing four to two in the top of the eighth inning, two walks, but two men, all but two outs. One of the nastiest pitchers in my mind, and Kurt might argue with me on this. Uh, one of my all-time favorite pitchers. Loved watching him when I was a kid. Armando Benitez. Benitez faced Marquise Grissom 
and Grissom delivered with a fucking three-run bomb that gave the Indians a 5-4 lead. And that would stand as Cleveland's bullpen would hold to keep the Orioles scoreless for the rest of the game. Is Miguel Miguel too hot on the team? He might have been. I don't know. In that Baltimore team. I was trying to think of some Baltimore players. But you had Brady Anderson. I done forgot about him. I, I was trying to think who's been on that team. I, you know my favorite guy, Ripken. Ripken. And Mike. Mike Messina. Messina, yes. Messina was a young buck here, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we moved to game three to Cleveland. And this one was a little bit of a slugfest. Between two of the best to ever do it. Uh, Cleveland gets the 2-1 victory. <laughs> Tied series, 1-1. One one. Hershiser against Mike Messina in Cleveland. Now, in this game, Mike Messina would set a league champion series record with 15 strikeouts, which would be matched in the National League by Levian Hernandez. Hernandez the very next day. Did Messina have a knuckle curve? He, yes. I mean, one of the last pitchers to really have That's a, a nasty pitch. It is a nasty pitch. That's what, on my uh, baseball games, I give that pitch to myself and create a player. Tell everybody what a knuckle curve is. It's a, well. It's nasty. It's nasty. It's moving at the speed of a curveball, always knuckling at the same time. It's pretty hard pitch to top throw. Sp- top speed tops out about usually 80, 86. It's hard pitch to throw. It's hard pitch to muster. Well, well without without tipping your hand, you know, you all, part of being a pitcher is the same. Not showing. Exactly. And every pitch looking the same. You know, fastball, same slider, same motion and everything. It's kind of hard to throw that pitch without giving it away a little it's bit. It's nasty. That's it what I call nasty, it. It is nasty, yes. You know I love the Ephus pitch. It's yes. right up there with being yeah. nasty with like that. Um, the Indians held a 1-0 lead in the to the ninth, but Jose Mesa, who we're going to talk about at length when we get into the World Series, would blow the save after Marquise Grissom lost a fly ball from Brady Anderson in the lights, and the game would go to extra innings. Well, Mr. Nasty Boy, Randy Myers, would be on the mound for Baltimore in the bottom of the 12th. Marquise Grissom walked. And then a single by Tony Fernandez moved him to third. With one out, Omar Vasquez motioned to bunt. When the pitch came, it passed through the strike zone with Vasquez missing the ball. So the ball would then get away from Lenny Webster, the catcher for the Orioles, which would allow Grissom to score the winning run. Webster and Myers both thought the ball was fouled off and just stood there and did nothing to stop Grissom. Uh huh. But the ball was not ruled foul. Although uh, Davey Johnson blew a fucking gasket, uh, he argued the call. The umpire's call stood. Yeah. So then we go to game four. Today, would that have call stood? No. Nope. I don't think so. No. Uh, so we go to game four in Cleveland as well. And this one's a little bit more exciting. Cleveland edges this one out, uh, eight to seven. Uh, Scott Erickson would return to the mound against uh, the young Jarrett Wright for the Indians. After being given an early 1-0 lead, Erickson would allow a two-run homer to here we go again, Sandy Alomar. Uh-huh. So you remember we was talking before we recorded on before we started recording tonight about uh, the ALCS. Which we, I guess we talked about while we recorded too, but we talked. 
the ALCS, the 2004 right. Yankees Red Sox. And I kept talking about Hideki Matsui. Right. And I kept saying if they gave series MVPs to the losing team. Yeah, Hideki Matsui would. If, yeah. yeah. In this World Series, we're going to come to find out if they gave World Series MVPs to the losing team. Yeah. Hands down, it's Sandy Alomar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just want to throw that out there. Like, he had he had his own postseason <laughs> yeah. for the ages there. Uh, where are we at? Okay, so uh, the Orioles scored four more runs off the young Jarrett Wright to build a 5-2 to two lead. The Indians closed to within two in the fourth inning. But in the fifth, uh, a stranger thing than Omar Vizquel's missed bunt occurred. Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, so I I remember this from uh, when I was a kid. So after giving up two more runs, Erickson was relieved by Arthur Rhodes with two Indians on base and two outs. Rhodes would then throw a wild pitch with uh, Marquise Grissom at bat, which would allow Davis David Justice to score from third base. However, he collided with Arthur Rhodes at home and home plate umpire Derwood Merrill, who basically blocked Lenny Webster's view of the ball, Merrill motioned for someone to get the ball as Sandy Alomar also scored. Now down two runs, Baltimore would score a run in the seventh. The Orioles would tie the game then in the ninth inning again off Jose Mesa. And then Sandy Alomar would single in a winning run in the bottom of the ninth giving the Indians an 8-7 to win, as well as a three-games-to-one lead in the ALCS. So, now we go to Game 5. So, if Cleveland wins here, it's done. Right. Or, yeah, if Cleveland wins here, it's done. So, we go to Game 5. We're still in Cleveland. Baltimore is going to come away with this one 4-2. to uh, Orioles are facing elimination. They took a 2-0 lead. In the third inning, when right fielder Geronimo Baroa singled with the bases loaded off of Chad OJ. From there, Orioles starter Scott Erickson. No, no. Cam Kamenicki. 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 Okay. Held the Indians scoreless through five innings. Jimmy Key would then turn in three scoreless innings in relief, who left the game due to elbow stiffness. So then the Indians reliever, Paul Ossenmacher, allowed four hits and two runs, including a home run by Eric Davis. Would this be the same 1990 World Series, Eric Davis? It is. It is. It very much is. Uh, In the ninth inning, to stretch the Baltimore lead to four to nothing. Uh, Orioles closer, Randy Myers, would allow RBI doubles to Matt Williams and Tony Fernandez in the bottom of the ninth. But Baltimore held on for a 4-2 win, staving off elimination to send the series back to Baltimore for Game 6. And unfortunately, Game 6 is where it comes to an end. Uh, Cleveland gets the victory, one to nothing. You never guess who's the hero. Uh, And um, we have another duel, another pitch and chubby. We have a rematch. We have Nagy and Messina, who kept the game scoreless, and the game proceeded all the way into the 11th inning. Now, you're going to find this funny. In the 11th inning, Tony Fernandez, who earlier in the day had hit a batting practice ball that bruised Bip Roberts' hand. 
And as a result, he replaced Roberts at second base. Well, he would hit a home run that would give Cleveland a 1-0 lead. With two outs in the bottom half of the 11th, Brady Anderson singled to the right off Jose Mesa. With Anderson on as the tying run, Roberto Alomar came up to bat. Well, he would strike out looking on a pitch that appeared inside at first but would come back across the plate, leaving him dumbfounded. Uh, this would give Cleveland the out and essentially send them to their second World Series yes. appearance in three years. So for the box score there for the ALCS in 1997, Cleveland would manage 18 runs off of 40 hits while Baltimore would manage uh, 54 hits and 19 runs. So again, they scored. Outscored. Outscored. Outhit. Outhit. And the offense was sputtering. Sputtering. Well, you know what doesn't sputter, Kurt? What's that? Black Rifle Coffee Company doesn't sputter. That's right. It makes you stutter with energy. <laughs> so, guys, check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. It's a veteran-owned company, and uh, Kurt and I uh, love anything that's veteran-owned. Yes. Uh, check them out on Facebook. Check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. Check out their .com. They've got cool gear for men and women. They uh, make great coffee, honestly, for all you coffee lovers. They have tremendous energy drinks. There's a little something for everyone. You can find Black Rifle Coffee Company online. You can find it in your stores. You can find it in your convenience stores. Uh, check them out. They're good people. They're awesome. Uh, when they became an official, unofficial sponsor, I mean, I even got a couple of uh, four-packs of their energy drinks for free. I didn't share them with Kurt because Kurt don't drink them, so... But check out Black Rifle Coffee Company. Okay. Yes. You good? Yes. You're getting excited now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I'm always excited. Okay. So, for the underdog. Yes. The Cinderella story. Yes. I'll give you my opinion on that at the end of the episode. The National League champion, Florida Marlins. Uh, They won 92 games, lost 70, finished second. Uh, they played, of course, at Pro, Play- Pro Player Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was their fifth season in franchise history, their first winning season in club history, and their first postseason bid in franchise history. And they played the NLCS against the San Francisco Giants, uh-huh. and they swept them three games to nothing. <laughs> so game one, they won two to one. Uh, game one was a matchup between Kirk Reuter. Yeah. And Kevin Brown. Uh, Both pitchers were (coughs) dueling back and forth, uh, allowing one run and four hits through seven innings. But both teams struck in the seventh with leadoff homers by Bill Muller and Charles Johnson. The game would be tied 1-1 in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded. Edgar Renteria. Renteria. Renteria, excuse me. Edgar Renteria singled to the right to give the Marlins their first ever postseason win with a walk-off. Young Edgar Renteria. And uh, keep in mind about that uh, postseason walk-off thing there. That's going to come back into play later in the World Series. Yes. So, game two went down in Miami again. Uh, This game was a little more competitive. You had uh, Florida winning 7-6. So, you had Sean Estes facing off against Al... Leiter. Al Leiter, who... Would have probably been about 10 years in at this point, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Uh, an RBI single by Mark Lewis made it 1-0 Giants in the first. 
The Marlins would strike back in the bottom half. And here's a name we've loved. We've mentioned him on... Uh, he's also a, was a San Francisco Giant, I do believe. The most famous deferred contract in sports history. The Miami, <laughs> the Florida Marlins uh, young stud at the time, or one of their studs, Bobby Bonilla. And as Kurt mentioned uh, multiple times in past shows, a very overrated I, Bobby Bonilla. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he should have given switch hitting up, I think. <laughs> he should have gave baseball up. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was definitely my eyes overrated. Okay, so Benia would hit a two run homer to make it two one. He would just said how overrated he is. He's crushing a two run. I know. Homer. Look, look. Don't we look like a yeah. bunch of dumbass? <laughs> Hashtag tits. Two idiots talking Talk sports. sports. Yes. Uh, he hit a two run homer, but a homer by Brian Johnson would time the game in the second inning. Then um, Barry Bonds. Would hit a sacrifice fly to give the Giants a 3-2 lead in the third. Roids. Roids. <laughs> the Marlins would tie it in the bottom half with an RBI single by Bobby Bonilla. Here we go. We're just shitting on him now. Let him go. Uh, Stan Xavier's infield hit gave the Giants the lead back in the fourth. Hits by Alex. Javier. No, Alex. Uh, no, Stan Javier. 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 Alex Arreyes and Kurt wow. Abbott would give the Marlins the lead in the bottom half. Then Florida would come back to add another run on a homer by the beast, Gary Sheffield. Oh, yeah. I love Gary Sheffield. Oh, yeah. uh, in the bottom of the sixth inning. This would make it uh, 6-4. But the Giants weren't going to give up yet. An RBI double by Bonds made it a one-run game in the seventh inning. Right. Roids. Uh, the one-run lead would stand into the ninth inning, and in come, when I talk about a gunslinger, I think about Brett Favre throwing a football, but I can think of a gunslinger pitching a fastball, and that would be Mr. Rob Nin. Yeah, you could bring it. Oh, God, son. I got something about that later, too. Uh, with Nin pitching, the Giants would manage to tie the game thanks to a key error by the rookie from South Bend, Indiana, Craig Council. Council. I like some Craig Council, too. Uh, however, the Marlins would not wait until extra innings to try to win. Sheffield would lead the inning off with a single and then would steal second. Uh, after Bobby Bonilla walked, Moses Alou. Alou hit the game-winning single to center field. The ball would be scooped up by Dante Powell, whose throw home was in line with the home plate. The ball would hit the mound, allowing Sheffield to score easily. Get in your Google machines. Go to YouTube. This has been one of the most infamous replayed baseball gaffes in the last 25 years. Uh, It just, the ball hits the mound, and it just fucking straight up in the air like a good 20, 30 feet. uh, Of course, the play would be the defining moment of the NLCS uh, and would be replayed on Good Morning America, Regis and Kathy Lee, da 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 da. Marlins win, take 2 0 series lead. So we go to game three. We're going to the West Coast, going to Candlestick and San Fran, and Florida would stomp them out 6 2. Game three, the Giants look to Wilson Alvarez yeah. to keep them alive. Opposing him would be Alex Fernandez, hoping to close out the series. The game was scoreless until the bottom of the fourth inning when Jeff Kent would hit a home run 
with one out to make it 1-0 Giants. Later, however, the Marlins would put the series away when Devon White oh, yeah. hit a grand slam into left field. Uh, Kentwood hit another home run in the bottom half, but two RBIs by Charles Johnson and Craig Council put the any hopes of a Giants comeback pretty much to bed. Rob Nin got Damon Berryhill to ground out to end the series. In response to their team being swept, Giants fans would show the utmost class and perfection and litter the field with garbage, <laughs> throwing it at the Marlins players while they celebrated. Oh, boy. This will be the final Major League Baseball playoff game in Candlestick Park. And until 2016, this will be the last time the Giants lost a postseason series at home. Mm. Huh. Yep. Dynasty? Eh. Eh. They got beat five years later by the Anaheim Angels. Yeah. So the box score for this, the Giants only managed nine runs off of 22 hits, while the Marlins managed 15 runs off 27 hits. So now... Got a little something for you here. Okay. Before we get to the NLCS between division rivals, right. I got a little fun fact. First one of the episode. Both teams hailed from the NL East division, the 101-win Braves being the division champions while the Marlins made the playoff courtesy of the wild card. Right. Both the Braves and Marlins swept their opponents during the division series. This was the second all-Southern postseason series. Uh, series. The first being in the previous round when Atlanta beat the Houston Astros. Wow. However, it was the first all-Southern postseason series to take place entirely in one time zone. The series marked the high point for the Braves-Marlin rivalry as the Marlins made the playoffs only once from 1998 to 2019. Coincidentally, that would be 2003 when a young Josh Beckett and the Marlins beat Jeter and the Yankees in the World Series. Both franchises would eventually meet in the postseason once again, most recently during the COVID-era 2020 National League Division Series. So we're going to game one, Puss. Right on. The hot Braves team that dominated yep. for years. Yep. Game one goes to the Marlins, 5-3 to three at Turner Field in Atlanta. So the Marlins would score three unearned runs in the first inning off Greg Maddox. When Fred McGriff. Oh, dude. Fred McGriff. Yeah. An error on Jeff Conine's ground ball would load the bases with two outs. Then Moses. I love Moses. He'd hit a base clearing ground ball double past Chipper Jones. Chipper. Uh, Atlanta got a run back in the bottom of the inning off of starter Kevin Brown with Keith Lockhart doubled with one out and scored on McGriff's single. But in the third, an error by center, uh, center fielder Kenny Lofton. Yep. Love me some Kenny Lofton. Oh, yeah. uh, on Gary Sheffield's fly ball, allowed him to reach third. Then after a walk, a lose ground out, and Charles Johnson's double scored a run each to put the Marlins ahead of the Braves 5-1. to one. All five runs they scored in this game were unearned runs. Hmm. Ooh, how Bad about defense. that? Bad defense. Unusual there. Bobby Cox teams were known for good defense and pitching. Not there. Not there. Uh, home runs by Chipper Jones in the third and Ryan Klesko, Klesko in the sixth would draw Atlanta to 5-3. to three, But Florida's bullpen held the Braves hitless over the last three innings. 
So game two, back at Turner Field. Was this the very next day? I think this was. This was the very next night. A very pissed off Atlanta Braves team come for blood. Uh, seven to one. Wow. And my favorite of the three-headed monster of Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin was on the mound for this Smoltz? one. No. Glavin. Tommy Glavin. Tommy Glavin. So the Braves rallied from their sloppy game one and routed Alex Fernandez, chasing him after only two and two-thirds innings. Damn. Wow. Yeah. Uh, after – in the first inning, Kenny Lofton would hit a leadoff single and then score on Keith Lockhart's triple. After two strikeouts, Ryan Klesko's home run would make it 3 nothing. So then a third inning, two-run homer by Chipper Jones helped Atlanta build to a 5 nothing lead. In the bottom of the seventh, Tony Graffino – Graffiano. Graffiano. I said Graffino. What the fuck? <laughs> Graffiano. Here we go. I'm thinking of mob talk again now. <laughs> Where's Jimmy Hoffa? Uh, Tony Graffiano would hit a leadoff double, then score on Chipper Jones' single. Two walks loaded the bases before Javi Lopez's sacrifice fly would make it 7 nothing Atlanta. So, Tom Glavin... Start to buzz, the party's over. Right? They're doing the chop. They're yes. doing the chop right now. We ought to put that in there. So, starter Tom Glavin was excellent giving up just one run in the eighth when Charles Johnson walked with one out and scored on Devin White's double. So he gave up just one run in seven and two-thirds innings. This would be where something would happen. It was learned after the game that Fernandez had been unknowingly pitching with a rotator cuff injury. What? Unknowingly. It's how tough these guys were back in the 90s. And he would be done for the entire postseason. They would not get him for the rest of this series or the World Series. That's right. So... We're going to Florida for game three, and the series is tied one and one. So, in game three, uh, the Marlins gets their they, – they take the knot here. They beat Atlanta five to two. So, here's where we get some good stuff. Oh, yeah. Game three began as a close game. In the top of the fourth inning, the Braves loaded the bases with nobody out on a single and walk and error off of Tony Saunders. A young Tony Saunders. But could only score one run on Fred McGiff's sacrifice fly that scored Kenny Lofton. Well, Gary Sheffield would respond with a home run in the bottom of the fourth off John Smoltz, baby. By the way, I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan. I hate both these fucking teams. But Kurt and I have long since debated. We're going to have to talk about the 1995 Atlanta Braves. Yes. So we're just debating on whether we do a 95 World Series or we just do an entire 1995 Atlanta Braves episode. The reason we haven't done this yet in a year and a half is because we both want the other one. We can't seem to agree on which one right, we're going to do. Right, right. So We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But eventually, though, it'll be a 1995 World Series or a 1995 yeah, Atlanta Braves episode. Braves yeah. There are many. I will yeah, say they, uh, they do. Uh, they are many. Yeah. Okay, so (laughs) this would be the only home run, however, that Florida would hit in the entire NLCS. Wow. The one that Sheffield got off Smoltz. Now, in the sixth inning, Atlanta would put runners on first and third, so you got a man on each corner with one out off of Sanders before Javi Lopez would hit a sacrifice fly off Levian Hernandez, which scored Atlanta's Jeff Blauser. 
The Marlins pulled away in the bottom half of the six when they scored four runs to finish John Smoltz's evening. With two on and two out and a one-two count, Darren Dutch Dalton pissing a bucket. Hey, there's your Easter egg, guys. Make sure to check out After Two Beers podcast. Dutch and Gibbler, we will be uh, going back up to see them sometime in the next few months. They want us to get together about every three or four months. So, I mean, there's your Easter egg, Darren Dutch Dalton. That's how he got the name Dutch. Yeah, Chris Dalton from After Two Beers, gonna piss in a bucket. It's an inside joke, guys. Check out After Two Beers. They're great people. So, Darren Dalton would hit a clutch game-tying double to score an Edgar Renteria. Renteria. After an intentional walk loaded the bases, the light-hitting catcher, and I find fault with this. This this particular sentence was a direct copy and paste, not my own notes, from uh, one of the many sources I pull all the research from. It said, the light-hitting catcher, Charles Johnson. I don't know if I'd necessarily uh, call him light-hitting. I would say conservative. Which I know it might kind of be the same thing, but to me that's different. Uh, he picked his he picked his spots. Yes, <laughs> I mean, he, he was a big boy he, when he hit the ball. He, he was pretty hard. He was their first draft pick. Yeah, he hit when the ball. they expanded. I thought he was pretty good, pretty good ball player. You're a pretty good ball player. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyways, CJ would smack a 2-2 pitch to the left center, clearing the bases to give the Marlins a 5-2 lead. Levian Hernandez, and you should pay attention because he's going to be a focal point of the rest of this episode and a focal point that I find issue with. Yes, me too. Um, we're going to talk about that later on in the episode. Um, anyways, uh, Levian would get the win as the Marlins took a 2-1 series lead. This was Smotes' only postseason loss in his career in which he did not turn in a quality start. Kurt, you want to talk about what a quality start is? Quality start is six and two-thirds. Six and two-thirds yep. innings. So his other three were hard luck losses, hard luck losses, including two in which he surrendered only unearned runs. So here we go. So now we're going to game four, still in Miami, and Atlanta really puts it on him here. Uh, four nothing. Yep. Shuts him out that night. I'm sure Jim Leland's breaking every piece of furniture in the dugout. Uh, yeah, smoke two packs of cigarettes in the dugout. So, do you remember the pitcher for Atlanta? Oh. Denny rhymes with Beagle. I think a Beagle dog when I look uh, at it. Nagel? Yeah. Nagel. Nagle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But if you look at it, it looks like Beagle. Right. So. He stepped up and pitched a complete game, four-hit shutout of Florida in game four. Like, there was no offense. The Braves' offense, however, chipped away at Al Leiter. Fred McGriff followed a walk and single with an RBI single in the first. And then after a double and a walk in the third inning, Andrew Jones, RBI single, made it 2-0 in Atlanta. Jeff Blauser would lead off the fifth inning with a home run. And then Chipper Jones would single and score on Fred McGriff's – man, Fred McGriff's been putting in work here, ain't he? Yeah, he's pretty good ball player. Uh, they put Atlanta on top 4 nothing. The crime dog, McGriff. <laughs> That's what they call him or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. So, the win, even the series at 2-2 with Maddox and Tom Glavin scheduled to start game five and six, and the Florida pitching staff 
uh, obviously not looking that good. Yeah. The advantage was obviously appeared yes. to be in Atlanta's favor. I didn't really give Florida hope, man. Well, here's 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 where we get some Levian Hernandez shit. So we go to game five. We're still in Miami. Atlanta's going to come away with this one two to one. So after the pitching gym that Atlanta had in game four, game five, game five was clearly the turning point of the series. If my if Florida lost, they weren't Miami yet. They were just Florida, even though they were playing Miami. If the Marlins lost, the Braves would be up three games to two and going home with uh, an yeah. NL pennant, right? So Levian Hernandez replaced Kevin Brown, who had got sick earlier in the day. Uh, so he wasn't even supposed to start. Uh, folks, he was a workhorse, too, that year. I mean – Man, Hernandez or Kevin Brown? Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown was a workhorse. workhorse that year. He logged a lot of innings that year. And he was solid. 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 Very, very solid. Had a I don't very have to, I don't heavy have to fastball. Have, I don't have to have a guy out there lights out right, day in and day right. out. Give me somebody that's solid. I'll make Six it work. Six and two-thirds. Six and two-thirds. A quality start. I'll make. Yep. I'll do yep. the rest. Yep. The boys behind you will back he you He had up. a very heavy fastball, too. He did. Sinking. Actually. Sinking. Yes. So... The Braves threatened immediately in the first inning with Kenny Lofton hitting a triple and Keith Lockhart being walked, putting runners on the corners with no outs. Tough so it's spot. already looking like yeah. mayday, 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 right? Yes. So Levian regrouped and struck out the heart of the order. Okay. Florida scored a run in the bottom of the inning off Greg Maddox when Devon White was hit by a pitch. It was noted that he made no effort to get out of the way of the pitch. I lost my train of thought. So it was noted that he made no effort to get out of the way of the pitch, though this is rarely called against a player, even though the rule stated that a player can be called out for this. White would subsequently steal second after a walk, scored on a Bobby Bonilla single. The Braves would even the game with a Michael Tucker home run in the second. Score remained tied 1-0 as Maddox and Hernandez would trade scoreless innings. In the bottom of the seventh, Bobby Bonilla doubled and scored on a single by Jeff Conine to give the Marlins a 2-1 lead. Hernandez continued to shut down a befuddled Braves offense. The Braves had a chance for a potential two-out rally in the eighth inning with Kenny Lofton reaching on a walk but was thrown out trying to steal second. The game ended with Hernandez striking out Fred McGriff on a called strike on a 3-2 pitch that appeared to be at least a foot off the plate. Hernandez pitched a complete game, three-hit, 15-strikeout masterpiece to reclaim the series lead for the Marlins. The Braves' three, four, and five hitters went one for 11 with seven strikeouts. Now, before we move on, this particular game is remembered for the controversy surrounding an unusually wide strike zone given to Hernandez by umpire Eric Gregg. Okay. We talked about right. this earlier. Right. He's he had a strike zone the size of my fat ass, the size of your living room, like Yeah, it was plenty big. Okay. Thanks, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> While Gregg was long known to have a wide strike zone, the game this game took it to extreme, even for him, and the strike zone seemed to expand. The term is wiener. Wieners. <laughs> you wiener. You wiener. <laughs> it seemed like the strike zone got bigger. Bigger, yes. Uh, furthermore, the strike zone was wider off the plate to left-handed hitters than it, it was it, to right-handed hitters. It was hitters. a little weird. I just tell you that. Right so, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
the this disproportionately affected the Braves because they had six left-handers in their lineups to Miami's three. It, this has been voted as the third worst called game from 1975 to 2000 by Baseball I, I America. Have, I'd have to agree with it. That statement. So, uh, what I mentioned earlier about the ALCS, Levine Hernandez set a record for most strikeouts in a National League Championship game of 15, just a day earlier when Mike Messina had did right, it. Right. Uh, by contrast, this game had left Greg Maddox with an 0-2 record in the series despite having an ERA of 1.38. What? Yeah. 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 That's It was pretty bad. So... So here we go. So we're going to game six. Uh, and this is where the stars align. Right. The wheels fall. Off the the wheels fall off for Atlanta. Florida wins seven to four. So we're back in Atlanta. Uh, the tomahawk chop. Yeah. Florida goes with Kevin Brown. Yeah. Facing Tom Glavin. Yeah. Two studs. Two studs. So. Devon White singled. Edgar Rintiera yes. walked. Gary Sheffield singled to load the bases with no outs. Bobby Bonilla then smacked a two-run single after a Jeff Conine sacrifice bunt and a Moses. Look at Jeff Conine laying down a sacrifice bunt. That's Jim Leland baseball, though. <laughs> Moses I'm, Alou I'm had an it. intentional walk. Glavin beaned. Charles Johnson. Yeah, I do remember that. Scoring Sheffield to make it 3-0. <coughs> Young rookie Craig Council, who had just got called up in July or August, yeah, not, yeah. Uh, he then grounded out, scoring Benia, making it 4-0 Florida. Now, the Braves came back in the bottom half with a Ryan Klesko single that drove home Keith Lockhart. Is that luck? The Braves closed with win one run in the second inning. Jeff Blauser would single with one out. You okay? I'm just making sure he's okay. Does he need to go out? No. Okay. Uh, Jeff Blauser single with one out, moved to second on a sacrifice bunt, and would then score on a Kenny Lofton single. After Lofton stole second and moved to third on Johnson's throwing error, Lockhart singled him home making the score 4 to 3. However, Glavin could not stop they couldn't stop him in the 6th. Once again, White, Rentiera and Sheffield reached base with no outs, and then Bobby Bonilla singled making it 5 to 3. After a Jeff Conine strikeout, Moses Alou grounded into a force play, scoring Rentiera. Charles Johnson then walked intentionally before Craig Council singled, making it 7-3 Florida. Kevin Brown was asked to leave the game towards the ninth. Uh, and um, if you you might be able to see it on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, he, in not so many terms, I'm sure very politely and very maturely, yeah, not happy. Uh, told Leland to go fuck himself yeah, in the dugout. You can clearly see the words fuck yourself or yes, something like that yes. moving. Uh, he wanted to continue. The Braves were able to score one in the ninth on Lockhart's single at two on, which would bring Chipper Jones up, who finished ninth in the MVP voting, to the plate to represent the tying run. However, he hit a grounder, and the Marlins forced Lockhart at second to give Brown a complete game victory and the first pennant for the Florida Marlins. 
It was also the first pennant for a wildcard team in baseball history. So the NLCS composite scoring box. Uh, the Florida Marlins scored 20 runs off of 36 hits, and the Atlanta Braves scored 21 runs off of 49 hits. Huh. Huh. Now, before we get to meat and taters, right? Got a few things we gotta we gotta go over, puss. Okay. So, game five. By the way, Levian Hernandez was named NLCS MVP. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Thanks to the, they should have probably gave it to Eric Gregg, honestly. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, I'm yeah, not, I'm I, not pulling for Cleveland in this World Series. I'm clearly telling you, I'm pulling for Florida. But right, it, it was like Dinkinger's call. Yes. In the 85, you and I sat there. If yeah. you're being honest about the game, the Dinkager's call was a bad call. If you're being honest about this game, Greg had no business no. umping this game. No. So, hey, Bubba. Uh, Bubba. So, he continued to umpire in 1998-1999, but he was not selected for postseason duties ever again. So, somebody was watching. Yeah. So, uh, he would eventually uh, resign... Uh, in 1999 as part of a, a labor action suit with Major League Baseball. And uh, unfortunately, on June 4th, 2006, uh, Eric Gregg suffered a stroke yeah. and died the next day. He was 55 years old. Yes. Uh, Didn't it happen at, during the first game of the season? Oh, no, no doubt. So, the, <laughs> I put in here, and I borrowed this off of... Uh, I don't remember where I borrowed this particular paragraph from here, but uh, it says this season reinforced a couple of narratives. On one hand, it showed how unpredictable baseball can be in the postseason, particularly in the wild card era, as the Braves lost the series despite being the heavily favorites, while also reinforcing the narrative that the Braves left many opportunities and multiple championships on the table during their 14-year run from 1991 to 2005. Although the Marlins never won the NL East, they won more World Series as a wild card entry, 97 and 2003, than the Braves did as the NL representative, with 1995 being their lone title. 23 years later, the Braves would sweep the Marlins in the 2020 NLDS. All right, so you ready for some meat and taters? I do with some meat and taters. Oh, Puss, we forgot something. What's that? What's one thing we talk about with every World Series episode? What's one thing we look at and reference? Uh, you caught me off guard. The rankings. Oh, yes. The, uh, the ESPN World, rankings. Yes, yes. So every World Series we cover, folks, <laughs> if you've paid attention to the show, and we thank you that do support Two Idiots Talking Sports, hashtag tits. Miss the boat, <laughs> bro. Miss the boat. Uh, every World Series we cover, I mentioned the October 2020 article from ESPN.com Sand Miller, which ranked at the time of 2020 all 116 fall classics. This is all like the game leverage. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, and I and I break this down every episode. Uh, it, it's something we love to look at and we use for every episode because we just kind of like to we see where it's necessarily at. Necessarily agree with all of it. Of course, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you what the qualifications are here, but obviously, uh, gotta keep them in suspense. We're not right, gonna yeah, review right, right. reveal till the end of the episode. But to rank every fall classic, they leaned on four primary factors. And I'll I repeat this every episode we do World Series because you have to know this. Yes, uh, it's based on Game Leverage Index, which they borrow from Baseball Reference, which is one of my favorite research sites for the World Series episodes. 
Uh, game leverage index measures how close the game is on each play and how likely the next play is to shift each team's chances of winning. Basically, what this means is a game that's close for nine <laughs> innings and won by a walk-off in the 10th will rate way better than a game where a team jumps ahead early and just runs away with the victory. Right. right. Uh, it's based on championship leverage index, which they borrowed from the baseball gauge. That's similar to the game leverage, except it measures how close the series is itself. Obviously, a seven-game series like what we're getting ready to get into right. is going to rate much better than a four-game sweep. Right. Uh, the last two are kind of subjective. Um, basically, it is uh, how memorable the series was. Uh, Kirk Gibson, 1988 World Series, wasn't very close, but it produces instant recall for that particular inning. Yes. And then number four, which is very subjective to everyone's opinion, how historically significant each World Series is and how satisfying that history is. <coughs> so um, we will return to this at the end of the episode to see where it ranked, yeah. to see, I don't know where everybody's kind of I'm thinking it's say at. 15th. Ooh, man, you're coming in high, aren't you? Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love inside jokes. Okay, so let's uh, just uh, just a couple more paragraphs and meat and taters, I promise. So the four-year-old expansion team, known as the Florida Marlins, represented both the best and worst parody of what Major League Baseball is. Despite becoming the youngest team to ever win a World Series and the first wildcard team to earn a championship, the franchise would be unable to support its expensive list of what you would call hired guns, mercenaries, and eventually would find itself on the verge of contraction in a couple short years. Jim Leland had been the Marlins' biggest purchase, obviously, uh, and um, he was very successful back in the day with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, but after their terrible 1998 season in Florida, he would resign. Uh, the Cleveland Indians had lost the World Series uh, in 95 against the Braves, but they had regrouped to retake the American League for the fifth championship title. So the much more experienced Indians were the heavy favorites going into the contest, which led many to believe we could be looking at a four-game sweep. sweep. Nada. Nada. So here we go. Meat and taters. With gravy. With gravy. But first... (laughs) Gotta pay bills, Kurt. Yeah. So guys, check out Beauty and the Beard Company. Beauty and the Beard Co. Uh, They're a small... Based out of a small town in Ohio. Check them out on Facebook. Visit their .com website. They have uh, been putting up a bunch of cool new gear. They've got new hats made. And they look pretty good. They got like beard kits and oils and works, everything Kurt needs so he don't ever look like Ron Jeremy again. <laughs> so, let me tell you, Kurt was scary as fuck when he looked like Ron Jeremy. Uh, but all kind of good stuff for your beard and everything. And uh, they really do got some really cool hats. So check them out. Uh, we used to have a discount code with them at checkout. It was Steel Toast 15. I don't know if that's still up. I guess try it if you want. Uh, if not, holler back, let us know. But that's Beauty and the Beard Company. All right, meat and taters with gravy. Uh, we'll be right back. And we're back after Kurt scared the ever-loving piss out of me outside. 
telling you your places. Uh, All right. Okay, so meat and taters. Game one, 1997 World Series, Cleveland Indians versus Florida Marlins. Game one goes down in Florida. National anthem sung by the boy band Hanson, which I can remember. I remember that. Uh, 67,245 people in the stands. Room only, huh? Levian Hernandez's family were unable to leave Cuba to be with this young phenom. Right. The media made sure to play this story up throughout the entire World Series. Uh, And, of course, you know, he's coming off an NLCS MVP, which arguably he didn't deserve. Right. Arguably. That's my opinion. I agree with it. Um, But they're really playing it up. People already had a love obsession with him, and then it, it pulled out America's heartstrings. Right. So, let's let's keep that in mind. So, the first World Series game in the state, state of Florida, uh, Levian Hernandez took the hill for the Marlins. Um, oh, and, the Bulldog? Hershiser. Yes, yes, Kurt, absolutely. Um, he quickly gave up a run in the first inning thanks to a double by leadoff man Bip Roberts. I like to... Roberts, I tell you what. And an RBI single by David Justice. You might say justice was justice served. Was served. Okay. Well, Cleveland would send Oral Hershiser to the mound. And he got through the first two innings untouched. Right, right. Untouchable. Looked like the Bulldog. Looked like the Oral Hershiser. Yeah. Uh, he was a, a Dodger, right? Yes. Yes, he, he was he your Dodger. He come up a Dodger, yeah. Yeah. He was your, he's always one of yours on our pickums all the time. Oh yeah. Uh, however, the Marlins would tie the game in inning number three with an Edgar Rientiera RBI ground out with two on, and they scored four runs in the fourth inning. Moses Alou, uh-huh. three run home run blast yep. off the left field foul pole. It hit yep. the pole. Yeah. It hit the pole, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, put Florida up four to one. Uh, Hershiser hung a curveball, something he didn't do very often, and he wanted that pitch back. Oh, absolutely, it, yeah. To this day, when he's asked about that, yeah, uh, he that's one of the pitches he wants yeah, back. Oh, yeah. Um, Charles Johnson would follow with a home run, back to back home runs, bomb to make it five to one. After Manny Ramirez's home run in the fifth bomb cut the lead to five to two, Hershiser allowed a one-out walk in the single in the bottom of the inning before Jeff Conine come through with an RBI single to make it six-two Marlins. Now, Jeff Juden would then relieve Hershiser, and after a force out at second. He threw a ball four wild pitch that let Bobby Bonilla score from third. Jim, tell me, tell me, home run cut the lead seven to three in the sixth inning, and then the Indians got another run in the eighth off Jay Powell when Marquise Grissom walked with two outs and scored on Brian Jai's double. But Florida closer Rob Nin came in the ninth and got out of a jam by striking out Sandy Alomar Jr. And Tomei with two men aboard. 
Rob to Nien end the break. game. Rob Nien can break. I, I want to point out two things here. First, when you go back and watch game one and Rob in, and Rob Nins up there, he's consistently throwing back to back to back, 100, 101, oh, yeah. 102, oh, yeah. 103. Just. He's not always accurate. He could work himself into some trouble, but, man, he could bring it. I mean, he was just throwing bomb after bomb after bomb. Just uh, tell me he wasn't ready to go. Yeah, he was pumped up. Oral Hershiser. Yes. So. 39-year-old. Right. Oral Hershiser. Right. 38, 39 years old. Yeah. So, definition of a premier postseason pitcher. You don't, would you agree? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Prior to the st- – fun fact. You Lights love, out. Fun fact. <clears throat> you love deep sluts. I mean, <laughs> I mean deep stats. Bad, yes. And deep sluts. <laughs> For those of you that's highly offended right now, that's a callback to our very first official show opening where Kurt misread the tagline and he thought it said i love deep sluts instead of deep stats so that's an inside yeah me no harm yeah but okay so you agree oral hershizer definition of a premier postseason pitcher definitely okay prior to the start of game one in his postseason career over you you can just look at me you can tell i got something good oh yeah so prior to the start of world series game one and earl hershizer's Postseason career, he was eight and one yeah. with one save and a one point eight three ERA. In game one of the nineteen ninety seven World Series, after five and one third innings in game one, he gave up seven earned runs. Ouch. Not a quality start. No. At, he'd been kind of their workhorse that year too. I think he had a tired, he was. tired arm. Him and him and Nagy both. Thirty nine years old. I mean, him and Nagy both. So um, Cleveland would win this game four to or sorry, Florida would win this game seven to four. Uh, Cleveland managed to hit eleven balls, just not only scored four runs. Right. Uh, so we go to game two. Uh, Gloria Stefan would yeah, sing the national yeah. anthem. Uh, another. Packed crowd, 67,000 fans. Joe Robbie. So, game two, you've got your ace, Kevin Brown, on the mound against Chad OJ, OJ. the Cajun, for Cleveland. Now, Kevin Brown, who had lost two games, or Chad OJ, excuse me, had lost two games in the ALCS, while Brown had won two games in the NLCS. Now, fun fact. Kevin Brown had not lost a decision in his previous 14 starts going into Game 2 of the World Series. Wow. Impressive. Okay. So, both teams doubled in the first thanks to RBI singles by David Justice for the Indians and Omar Vasquez doubled with one out. And here comes Jeff Conine. For the Marlins with two on. OJ barely escaped more damage when Moses Alou got under a hanging oh, curveball, yeah. but merely flied out to the warning track, missing his second three-run homer in as many nights, and just by inches. Uh, oh, yeah. 
if you watch game two or look at highlights, it's I mean it's inches. Yes. Inches. I thought it was gone. I did too. Uh he did too. Yeah. Um so after that, Chad OJ would settle in kinda and he didn't allow any more runs in six and two third innings. Brown pitched okay uh until the fifth when the Indians took the lead by stringing together consecutive singles by Matt Williams, Sandy Alomar Jr., and Marquise Grissom. With that hit by Marquise Grissom, fun fact, he tied one of your all-time favorite players, Roberto Clemente, with hits in 14 straight World Series games. Impressive. That's good company to be in. really good company. Okay. So and, and that was shortened career of Roberto Clemente. I mean, who knows? I like Roberto Clemente. I do too. I do too. Pittsburgh five tool first five tool player. Well, maybe Mantle and DiMaggio. No, but, Clemente. I mean, but the first when they came up with the term five tool player, it was Clemente. I'm not even going to argue with you. I agree. Right on. High five. Right on. High five, bro. So, later in the inning, with runners on second and third, Bip Roberts drove in a pair of runs with a single up the middle to give the Indians a 4-1 to lead. The three-run lead ballooned to five when Sandy Alomar hit a laser beam oh, yeah. into the left field stands for a two-run home run in the sixth. The Indians' 6-1 win would tie the series as they headed to Cleveland for Game 3. Brown, Kevin Brown, who had not lost a decision in 14 previous starts, gave up six earned runs in six innings. Yeah, he's tired. Tired on him, I'm sure. Workhorse. So, Sandy Alomar. Yeah. For Cleveland. A beat-up Sandy Alomar. They said he was beat-up at this time of the year. He'd been hit with foul tips all year. I, I mean, mean his postseason here is pretty stoic. Man. I guess it'd be the right term. That's so. right. That's right. So, uh, six to one, um, they were on it. Uh, game three, we go to Jacobs Field, and go to I, Cleveland. I want people to think about this. You went from 88 degrees. Oh, and it's going to get cold, son. In, in Miami. Yeah, and we're headed up to Lake Erie. Lake Erie, Cleveland. Yes, October. October. Yeah, late October. And uh, it got cold. Folks. It got cold. Uh, the weather was typical for Cleveland. By the way, Reba McIntyre yeah. did the national anthem. Reba, Reba. I love, I love me some Reba. Oh yeah. Uh, the weather was typical for Cleveland when the series would get back to the AL side of things. A twenty-three degree wind chill factor uh-huh. is what awaited the start of this game. So we're in late October, you I know. Knew, I knew you had something with the weather in there. Yeah, had to. Oh yeah, both games. Yes. So twenty-three degree windshield. Now, game three of the nineteen ninety-seven World Series is arguably what I think one of the best games in baseball history. Think about how many games have been played over the course of professional Major right, League Baseball. Right. This one's got to go down as one of the top one hundred games ever. Right, right. Top fifty, top ten, maybe. I mean, Who knows? At least pretty special. At least top one hundred. Yeah, it is. So, game three was a crazy game that ended uh, with Cleveland taking, or excuse me, Florida taking a 2-1 series lead. So, the Indians put Charles Nagy on the mound against Al Leiter. 
for the Marlins. Now, both these guys didn't do the greatest in this game. No. Leiter gave up seven runs, four of those which were earned in four and two-thirds innings, and Nagy gave up five runs in six innings. In the top of the first, my homie, your homie, Gary Sheffield, started the scoring with a home run to left. A laser. Laser. In the bottom half, Cleveland would retaliate with two runs thanks to two back-to-back broken bat singles yeah. by Matt Williams and some guy you may have heard of, yeah. Sandy Alomar. Yeah, yes. Now, Nagy's bases loaded walk to Sheffield. Here we go. Okay. Look at the score, uh, scorebook. Uh, look at the ball base on balls, Nagy. We'll, 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 we'll get to that later. Maybe a tired arm, maybe, but he runs into a wall. And he was a bit of a workhorse for them he this was. year. He was, he was, you know. Um. So, Nagy's bases loaded walk to Sheffield tied the game in the third inning before uh, the Marlins would take a 3-2 lead in the fourth on Darren Dutch going to piss in a bucket. Dalton, home run. <laughs> Shout out after two beers podcast. Yes. Love you guys. However, the Indians would get a gift from the Marlins in the bottom of the fourth when they drew four, four free passes, then a throwing error by third baseman Bobby Bonilla on Manny Ramirez's single allowed two runs to score. I want you to think about this, what I'm about to tell you. They scored three runs to take a 5-3 to three lead with only one hit thanks yeah. to the Marlins. Yeah. That's bad defense and, and errors. Poor pitching and bad poor, pi- poor pitching, bad defense, and errors. And Bobby Bonilla was overrated. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he was playing on a bad ham- hamming it, uh, supposedly. So now the Cleveland Indians would go up 7-3 to on Jim Tomey's two-run home run to the right in the fifth inning, which would knock Al Leiter out of the game. So then his home run was nullified in the sixth, by a guy we've yet to mention, Jim Eisenreich hit a two-run home run that yeah. nobody saw coming. Man with Tourette's. Right field, I you think it had, was. You know he had Tourette's? I did not know that. Yeah. Really? Yeah, he had had to take medication for games where he... Yeah. What would a Major League Baseball player out there on the field with Tourette's be like? Come on! Give shit! Shit! Get the get the fucking ball! Uh, uh, yeah. right, come on, guys! Good game, motherfucker! Hey, guys, you're doing a great, fantastic fucking job. Jim Jim, Jim Eisenreich can ball, man. We're not making fun of people. It's just this, yeah. this is the shit my brain thinks of. Sorry. I mean, no offense. It'd be tough. So in the seventh in the seventh inning, yeah, a rookie from South Bend, Indiana, yeah, played at Notre Dame. Craig Council. Craig Council would hit a leadoff single off Brian Anderson. Yeah. Uh, and moved to second on a ground out. Then Edgar Renteria. Renteria single and Gary Sheffield's double off Mike Jackson, who by the way got charged with a blown save, each drove in a run to make the score seven to seven. In the ninth inning, Bobby Benia drew a leadoff walk off of reliever Eric Plunk. Yeah, I remember Eric Plunk. And scored on a Dutch Dalton single, aided uh-huh. by an error that would let Dalton get to third base. Now, after an, a very uncharacteristic night for Moses Alou, his third strikeout of the night, and an intentional walk to pinch hitter Cliff Floyd, an error by first baseman Jim Tomey on Plunk's pickoff attempt would allow Dalton to score. Right. Bad error. It's yeah. in the highlights. Terrible. 
after Charles Johnson singled, Alvin Mormon relieved Plunk and an error by scored baseman Tony Fernandez on Council's ground ball would allow Floyd to come in to score. After Mormon retired Devon White, a walk to rent the area, loaded the bases before Jose Mesa relieved Mormon and then would turn around and allow two singles to uh, Gary Sheffield and Bobby Bonilla on a wild-ass pitch. Just don't know where right. that ball was going. Uh, that would give Florida a 14-7 to lead. So in the bottom of the inning, Cleveland would load the bases on a walk and two singles with one out off of Rob Nin before Tony Fernandez sacrificed fly and Marquise Grissom's single scored a run each. Then here comes Bip Roberts <laughs> with a two-run double. Yep, pesky little Bip. To cut the lead to 14-11, to but Omar Vasquez grounded out to end the game. Now, something I want to point out here. Uh, Rob Nin yeah. throws like dynamite. Yeah. I bet you he could explode a bird with a ball oh, like yeah, Randy Johnson. Nin did not have a good ninth inning. He only pitched the ninth inning in this game. Right. Ask me how many pitches he threw in the ninth inning. Because I, fa- I checked it. How many pitches did he throw in the ninth inning? 43 pitches Ouch. in the ninth inning. You know it's got to be a bad inning. The closer threw 43 pitches in the ninth inning. And remember, folks, it is 23 miles. The, yeah, Minus the windshield, it's, it's, you know, it's in the 30s or whatever. The, uh, the windshield makes it you feel know, like it's in the low 20s. And I'm sure that's got to be playing a factor. Especially when you're coming from Florida. Yes. So, so uh, what's interesting about this is Dennis Cook got the win in relief by tossing a scoreless eighth, and Plunk would be handed the loss. This was the highest scoring game for 20 years, until the fifth game of the 2017 World Series. Do you remember who played in the 2017 World Royals? Series? No, the Houston Astros, Astros and Dodgers. Yeah. You should see the look I'm giving Kurt right now. Uh-huh. He's, just, he's just like he wanted to reach across the table and smack me. <laughs> um, it was also the fourth time that a team had scored seven runs in the ninth inning of a postseason game, and the first since the 1990 ALCS. Uh, Marlins batter Gary Sheffield had five RBIs in the game. Getting it done. Uh, fun fact, this was one of the longest uh, games in World Series history. Almost four hours? Yeah. Uh, Florida would get the win, 14-11. to 11. They would score. They did pretty good. 16 hits got them four teen runs, and Cleveland would manage to score 11 runs off 10 hits. Both teams committed three errors. Yeah. The ninth inning, Florida stomped them seven to four. I hate bad defense in baseball. <laughs> I mean, you start giving teams five outs in innings. Oh, boy. So, game four, we're still in Cleveland. Uh, and no, it didn't warm up to 80. About 45,000 change there. Good turnout. Uh, and before that, we gotta work the we gotta work some more in here. Okay. So, guys, check out JDJ Log Builders on Facebook. Uh, it's my best friend's company. They've been in business for almost two decades. 
the owner grew up in the log home business. They can build log homes from scratch. They can build kid homes. They can do partial and complete log home refinishing, staining, log replacement. They also, if you catch him on a good day, could maybe do a, you know, maybe a little bit of general contracting, maybe a quick weekend shingle job here or there, or a pole barn. Uh, but whatever you need, make sure you check them out on Facebook. Uh, send them a message or give them, uh, give them a call or a text at 812-827-0427. Uh, that's JDJ Log Builders. I got him. I helped get him a job a few weeks ago. Not oh, yeah. that he needs help. I mean, his work speaks for itself. But I, just through a mutual friend, she's like, she's seen a post I put on Facebook, and uh, she's like, I didn't know you did this work. I said, Well, I did for about six months. I said, Then I went to work over at Versteel. Uh, but I was like, Yeah. And she's like, Oh. And then she tells me a week later, she's like, Hey, your best friend's gonna do some work for me in the I spring. So, okay, give him a call. Give him a call. He does quality work. His pictures on Facebook speak for themselves. So, this back and forth World Series, which is amazing to me because we're going into game four now, and they just keep swapping wins. Right. Right? Right. Both teams were greeted by snow during batting practice. Love it. For those of you that don't know, if you go check out some of the film highlights and the recaps and everything, they're literally playing Christmas music as it's yeah. snowing in yeah. October for batting practice. Uh, the official game time temperature of 35 degrees remains uh as of 2020 i don't know if it's still accurate i'm assuming it is uh the coldest recorded in world series history but as the game progressed it the weather was just terrible uh wind chill factor readings dipped it to make the temperature feel as low as in the teens yeah so this is you know and baseball is not one of those sports where you're moving everybody's moving on uh they're called the boys of summer for a reason. Yes. I mean, think of the outfielder. He may not get any action all night long. He's just out there freezing. He's standing there freezing his ass off. Yeah. The pitcher and the catcher are going to be moving. And I think Bob Euchre might point that out at some point in the competition. Some point. Which makes sense. You want to hear something cool? Yes. So, I'm trying not to spill that all over the table. So, two rookie pitchers opposed each other on the mound. For game th- uh, game four, so you had Tony Saunders for the Marlins and Jarrett Ride, who's did okay so right. far in the postseason. Right. Fun fact: Jarrett Wright was the youngest pitcher to ever start a World Series since 1985. Kirk Kelly for the win. Can you tell me who that pitcher would have been in 1985? Fernando. Uh, no, no, 1985. Uh, oh, no, Saber Kurt, how often do I pick Brett Saberhagen in our pickums? Uh, a bunch. If I if you don't beat me to yeah, it, yeah, yeah. God, I love me some fucking Brett Saberhagen yeah, for sure. Also, this was the first time two rookies opposed each other in 14 years, so that would have been 1980. Yeah. So that would have been Phillies and, and Royals. Royals. So the who would have been? The I don't know. Bob Walk. Maybe. Uh, for the, your Phillies and. Uh, It's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. We're going to fact check that later on after the show. Oh, oh, Danny Jackson. Danny Jackson. For the Royals. And I'm not sure who the Phillies' first uh, starter would have been. Rookie. I'm going to say Bob Walk. We'll check that out later. So, in the bottom of the first inning, Omar Vasquez would single with one out before Manny Ramirez 
would hit a two-run home run to put Cleveland up two to nothing. Matt Williams then singled with two outs and scored on some guy you may have heard of, Sandy Alomar's double. <laughs> In the third inning, Manny Ramirez would draw a leadoff walk which he moved to second on an error and would score on David Justice's single. You may say justice had been served. After another walk, Alomar's single scored justice. After a third walk to load the bases, Saunders, the rookie, was relieved by Antonio Alfonseca and allowed an RBI single to Tony Fernandez. Now, the Marlins got on the board in the fourth inning behind Jim Eisenreich's RBI uh-huh. single with two on, and then Moses Alou hit a two-run home run after a walk in the sixth to cut Cleveland's lead 6-3. to three. But that was as close as my uh, Florida was going to get that night. In the bottom of the inning, Alomar's bases loaded ground out off Ed Vosberg. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, would make it 7-3 to three Indians. The very next inning, Fernandez would hit a leadoff single, move to second on a ground out, and score on Brian Giles' single. Yeah, Brian, Brian Giles. Giles. Uh, in the eighth inning, Williams' two-run home run after a walk would cap the game scoring at 10-3 to as the Indians tied the series at two games apiece, which would guarantee a return to Florida, most the likely. The tribe is going wild. Right. So, fun fact. I love deep slats. 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 <laughs> so that's what we ought to we ought to we ought to switch the joke to slats. Slats, there you go. So fun fact. Matt Williams hit a home run for the Giants in the nineteen eighty nine World Series. The Earthquake. The worst ranked World Series of all time, by the way, if you check ESPN's one hundred and sixteen rankings that we reference. Uh, and that's probably true. Because yeah. the Giants never yeah. led that yeah. series at all. They didn't even they only ended two innings even time. Well the thrill was yeah, but Matt Williams would hit a home run for the Giants in the 89 World Series. Why the fuck am I telling you this? With this home run, he became only the seventh player in Major League Baseball history to hit a World Series home run for both the American League and the National ah, League. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Look at me go. Yeah, look at you go. So, and again, if I'm wrong on some of these, then, you know, you guys need to holler at us once in a while. But to the best of my knowledge and my research, you know, I got yeah. pretty reputable sources yeah. when I researched because Kurt don't research. I say it's fact, folks. Kurt, Kurt, what's your uh, what's your job? Watch video. You watch video, and occasionally you'll read maybe a half a page article. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So, back to the <laughs> other rookie in this game who was faring a lot better. Uh, Jarrett Wright allowed three runs in six innings, and Brian Anderson wrapped up Wright's win with a three inning save. So game, f- uh, game four. The box score reads uh, Cleveland 10 to 3. Florida only managed six hits that game, but Cleveland was on it. They managed 15 hits that game, walking away with 10 runs. Uh, Florida committed two errors. That's never good. So now, game five. Right. um, Still in Cleveland? Still in Cleveland. This will be the final game in Cleveland. And it warmed up to 85 this game. No. Uh, 44,000 change. The weather wasn't really talked about in this game much. Right. It was still uh, cold. Be- because the focus of this game was uh, everybody's feel-good story. The defect- the Cuban defection years ago of LeVon Hernandez. Yeah. 
and the media played this up. You know, he he arguably won the yeah. NLCS, yeah, and his family couldn't be there with him, and they wanted to talk about it, and they just kept driving this in and driving this in. And everybody loves a feel-good story. That's great. Well, Game 5 would be a rematch of Game 1 between Levi and Hernandez and Oral Hershiser. Uh Fun fact... Hernandez was looking to become the first rookie in 50 years to win two World Series starts. How long? 50 years. So, uh, 90, 50, so that would have been 1947. Yeah. So, you've been looking probably like, what was 47, Yankees and Dodgers? Uh, hey, that's an anniversary series on this yeah, show, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so, Florida would strike first when Darren Dutch Dalton hit a ground rule double and scored on Charles Johnson's single. Okay, getting a little energy going here. Light hitting. Yeah, arguably light hitting. Uh, After a walk to South Bend rookie Craig Council, Devon White's RBI double made it 2-0 Florida. The Cleveland Indians would cut it to 2-1 in the bottom of the inning when Jim Thome tripled and scored on a single by some guy you may have heard of, Uh, Sandy Alomar. uh Now, Next inning, Alomar launched a towering three-run home run after two walks to Tommy and Matt Williams, which will put Cleveland up 4-2. to two. Fun fact, Kurt, and we referenced this earlier in the show. Alomar would set a postseason record here with 19 RBIs, 10 of those RBIs coming in this World Series. However, after this in Game 5, he would not have another RBI the rest of the yeah. series. Yeah. Maybe that hurt him. Who knows? But still, 19 RBIs and 10 of them in the World Series. That's impressive. So, in the sixth inning, Moses Alou would hit his second three-run home run off Hershiser in as many games and his third home run of the series to put Florida back up 5-4. to Well, then Eric Plunk walked Craig Council with the bases loaded to force Jeff Conine with the run charged to Hershiser. A lot of that went on there in this series, didn't it? Yeah. Bases loaded walks. Bases loaded walks. Strategy? Intentional? Unintentional? I don't know. Weird. Um, the Marlins added to their lead in the seventh when Lou hit a leadoff single off Jeff Juden, stole second, moved to third on a ground out, and scored on Johnson's single. Now, if you watch this... Uh, Alou come charging in when he stole second base, and it looked like it looked like he missed, like came off the bag, yeah, and was touched, but they didn't call oh, it. It's yeah. it's uh, it, Today, I mean today's baseball game it would have been a different outcome, probably. Yeah, I mean here you are. I think you, there was definitive evidence. You are. 12 years removed from Dinkinger's blown first base yeah. call with Todd Worrell yeah. and Orta. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it's tough to call. You can call it either way, I think. But it looked like he was. A- it kind of looked like he was, yeah. Out. Yeah. So, next inning, Moses Alou's single scored pinch runner Alex Herreras, who was running for Benia, who was having issues with his hamstring throughout the World Series, with two on uh, – off of Jose Mesa, and then extended their lead to 8-4. to four. Now, Levian pitched pretty good in the middle innings, not allowing any runs in the ninth. Uh, an error in a single put two on with no outs for the Indians. Rob Nin came in in relief, 
allowed a two-run single to David Justice. Both of the runs charged Hernandez. And then a two-out RBI single led to Jim Thome before some guy you may have heard of, Sandy Alomar, flew out to the right end of the game to give the Marlins a 3-2 series lead heading back to Florida. Now, one thing I want to point out here. Uh, If you go back and watch game film of this World Series, you'll see a lot of the camera cutaways in the dugout. After giving up some runs and hits, Levian Hernandez is uh, in the dugout oh. like a little bitch <clears throat> yeah. throwing a fit. <clears throat> yeah. So now here, shit up. here's here's this darling who arguably is in everybody's eye because he's got the NLCS, which he probably didn't deserve. And I want you people to understand what I'm telling you. This. I pulled as a 10-year-old boy for the Florida Marlins in this World Series. Going through my research these last week and a half and talking to Kurt, I was pulling and getting excited for the Marlins to win this. But I don't like the shit going on with Levant. Like no. they, they just painted him as this. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Child, yeah. So he's doing all this shit, though, and throwing temper tantrums in the fucking dugout, punching the wall, throwing batting helmets, grabbing other people's batting helmets, just looking like a jackass. Yeah. To where the pitching coach, Jim Leland wants nothing to do with this. Like, he's like, I got to manage the game. You go, you know, go change your diaper and come talk to me. So the pitching coaches and, anyways, just dumb. Yeah. Uh, But Florida would come alive in this game. They Immature. Immature. Florida would manage uh, 15 hits to score eight runs. Uh, They committed two errors. Now, Cleveland, on the other hand, would manage nine hits, scoring seven runs, no errors. So now, game six, and this is a big one, folks. We're going back with a 3-2 lead for Miami, Florida. Um, We're back in Florida. Uh, The temperature degrees change was like 42, 43 degrees (laughs) difference. That's big. So we're 70, 80-degree weather. They put 67,498 people in Pro Player Park Stadium in Miami. Okay? This was the highest single-game attendance for a World Series since Game 5 of the 1959 World Series. Why is that important? Because in 1959, in the World Series, they put 92,000 people in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum where they used to play football games and held Super Bowls. Right. Anyways, uh, Kevin Brown faced Chad... OJ again. And once again, Brown had some struggles while Chad OJ flourished. Fun fact, Kurt. And you're gonna love you're gonna love this game six. OJ had not won a single start throughout the month of June, July, or August during the nineteen ninety seven regular season. But he's looking pretty good here in the postseason. But he didn't want to start. So Cleveland's gonna put their eggs in this basket. Huh. Huh, huh, huh. Chad himself would drive in two first runs with a bases loaded single in the second. Fun fact, Kurt, Chad had not hit a ball for a team in a game since he played high school baseball back in Louisiana. (laughs) And I'm Uh, sure everyone is figuring he bunts here. Uh, But instead, an RBI single? Helping himself. Okay. Uh, first, he drove in. He drove in first two runs with the low, in the single, and Manny Ramirez hit a sacrifice fly in the third after Omar Vasquez 
hit a leadoff double and stole third. And in the fifth, after a leadoff double and a subsequent single, Chad OJ did it again. He hit another hit, this time a double. Now, you go back to previous World Series episodes, uh, specifically another anniversary series. We're doing the 25th anniversary this year. Earlier this year in January, we did the 20th. Right. In that particular episode, you clearly said, uh, AL, NL, pitcher's bat. bat. This is supposed to be an easy out for yeah, the pitcher. Supposed to be. A pitcher versus a pitcher right. is supposed to be an easy out. Chad Oche was an athletic guy. Very, um, very athletic, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, well... It wasn't an easy out, Kurt. No, it wasn't an easy out. Uh, I don't know why pitchers can't hit. I, he's hitting and successfully instead of bunting. Yes. Which everybody's figuring a pitcher's right. going to bunt. Right. He's swinging away. And, who, and his swing didn't look at so bad. So who, who made that call? Mike Hargrove. Mike Hargrove told him to go swing, don't well, bunt? He, he knew something that nobody else knew. He's seen him evidently batting practice or what have you. And I'd say he... Seen he carry his stick, okay, and uh, well, no take sign, no bunt sign, and swing away. Darren Dalton sacrifice fly with two on in the fifth. Who, who do you think made it call? Okay, here, here's what I'm thinking. I think he did it on his own. I think really? I don't think Hargrove. I don't. I don't know. I want to. I just want to believe by the way this went off. That this guy just went up there and he's like, you know what? If I get a chance to rip one, I'm just going to hit right, one. Right, right. Well, Otherwise, that's, that's you know, I get down 0-2, I'll bunt. Right. I mean, but possibility, yeah. Possibility. So, Darren Dutch Dalton, sacrifice fly with 2-1 on in the fifth, scored Moses Alou from third to give the Marlins the only run of the game. With Cleveland leading 4-1 to one into the sixth, Chad OJ ran into some trouble. The Marlins put runners on second and third with two outs, as reliever Mike Jackson would then replace O.J. Marlins catcher Charles Johnson stepped into the plate and proceeded to hit a sharp grounder that was headed for left field, looked like a base hit. Indian shortstop Omar Vasquez, who won the gold glove that year, wizard, yes, dove for the ball, grabbed it, sprung to his feet, and hurled a perfect strike to first base before Johnson arrived. I want you guys to understand this. This play happened in a matter of like, what, bang, bang. Five, six yeah, seconds, yeah. ten seconds. Yeah. This ball was going out to left field. I think Charles and Johnson, he dove. I think Charles Johnson kind of thought it was a base hit. If you watch him out of the box, uh, he was. I mean, you know how a guy get a base hit? You kind of let up a little bit. He thinks that ball's through. And next thing you know, <coughs> Vizquel's got a stab. And Vizquel, he he dove. Yeah, like full it, body. It, it, is an, it is an amazing highlight, you guys. The ball was past him. Absolutely. When, yeah, when he caught it. That's I mean, absolutely. So, um, but he he just grabbed it, and the motherfucker must have had springs on his feet because he was back up and that ball was out of his hand yeah. in like three seconds. Long flat. throw too. A long throw from what ten feet in the off, grass. Yeah, in the grass. Yes. to first. Uh, and I mean, it just beat Johnson to yeah. the bag yeah. too. Uh, the play ended the threat. And crushed Florida Spirits. And then in the ninth inning, closer Jose Mesa wrapped up the win despite allowing a triple to Devon White to tie the series 3-3. One thing we haven't talked about so far this entire postseason is Jose Mesa. 
He's had some blown saves, but he's been pretty solid for, I think. Right. Serviceable, manageable. Right. right. Could that change going into game seven? We'll see. Okay. So, uh, here we go. So, for game six, uh, Florida manages one run off eight hits. Cleveland manages four runs off of seven hits. We are tied 3-3. The most exciting game seven in all sports is not the NBA Finals. Unfortunately, it's not the Stanley Cup Finals. To me, the most exciting game seven and is hands down in sports is baseball. The World Series. Series. Yeah. So October twenty sixth. Kurt just looked at me funny. He's like, What's the matter, buddy? Oh, my battery's not charging. Well, we're still good. We got sixty percent battery. Let's look at the battery on the laptop. Uh, October 26, 1997. Pro Player Park. Mary Chapin Carpenter. I love me some Mary Chapin Carpenter. Sang, oh, yeah. Sang the national anthem. 67,204 fans. And before we do that, boy, we're knocking these bills out left and right tonight. We got to do these a little more. So we'll save our girl for last. So before we take care of that... Uh, guys, check out Main Street Designs LLC in Jasper, Indiana, a small family-owned business that specializes in laser engraving and direct-to-garment printing. They offer vinyl decals, uh, baby blankets, tumblers, all sorts of personalized items for you or your business. Fantastic work. Uh, I've said to Blue in the Face, they offered in the beginning this kind of rub we were getting from just having somebody say they were a quote-unquote sponsor. Uh, they offered to make us a logo. And um, I need to take them up on that offer. So, uh, But check out Main Street Designs LLC. Get a hold of them on Facebook or give them a call at 812-661-7765. I do believe they ship all over the U.S. So. They do some really cool stuff. They do. They do. They made tumblers uh, about six months ago for a wedding, and the, the work on the tumbler was just amazing. Completely awesome. Okay, so we'll save Nana for last because she's our, she's our girl. And puss, yeah, Hattie, puss, old Hattie, old, old girl. girl. So, fun fact for game seven, Levian Hernandez's mother was granted last minute permission to leave Cuba and be at game seven. Now, while obviously he didn't see the field, the media made sure to let us know that he was there and the feel good story and the Cuban defection and cadet. Fidel Castro's bullshit, which is all true. Yeah. It is all true. Yeah. Castro was a cocksucker. <clears throat> all true. Can I say cocksucker? It's my yeah. show, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, you know, at least if his whole family couldn't be there, at least the woman that gave birth to him could be there. Uh, and the media could not resist to tug on our heartstrings and this feel-good story. You see what I'm starting to drive oh, out oh, here? Yeah. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's going to come into play a little bit later. It's a popularity contest, yeah, but yeah. for what? Yeah. We'll find out. For the final matchup of the World Series, for the first time since 1991 that a Game 7 would be played, the Marlins outlier took to the mound. Now, Leiter had been the starter for the Marlins in the high-scoring Game 3 in Cleveland, 
when he gave up a total of seven runs and did not make it out of the fifth inning, but was spared a potential loss when the Marlins rallied. The potential for a Game 3 rematch existed with uh, Charles Nagy. Uh, Nagy pitched six innings and gave up five runs, all earned in his outing. Like Leiter, he was left with no decision after the Cleveland bullpen allowed Florida to tie the game and win. However, Mike Hargrove, for whatever reason, decides that he's going to start rookie Jarrett Wright, who was 3-0 in the postseason at this point, and had started one game four and was available on three days rest, and Hargrove, who was celebrating his 48th birthday that day, decided to take the risk and start the rookie on short last. I can't believe you're not starting your arguably yeah. ace in the hole, maybe, a solid ace in the hole in Nagy, yeah. What right. are we, you're going to have a bad day at the office some days. Right. Nagy had a bad day at right. the office game three. Right. But arguably, he's been one of your aces in the hole all he's year. The reason why you're there, probably. One of them. Yes. And you're not going to start him. Okay. So the Marlins managed one hit in the first inning, a double off the bat of Edgar Rentieri. That was the only hit that Wright gave up through six innings, and the Indians staked him to a 2-0 lead in the third. With nobody out, Jim Thome walked, and Marquise Grissom would single to second. Pitcher Jarrett Wright sacrificed both men into scoring position. After Leiter retired Omar Vasquez for the second out, Tony Fernandez would come in, single a drive to both runners for the only runs of the game to that point. Now, Leiter was removed after six innings and only surrendering the two outs. Now, leading off the bottom of the seventh inning for Florida, Bobby Bonilla hit Wright's first pitch over the right center field wall for a home run, which cut it to 2-1. to one. Now, after striking out Charles Johnson and walking Craig Council, Wright was removed from the game in favor of Paul Osmacher, who was scheduled to pitch to Cliff Floyd. Well, then Marlins manager Jim Leland elected to send Kurt Abbott to the plate after the pitching change. Austin Mockard retired him on a fly ball, then got Devon White swinging to end the inning. Okay, so now we're going to the top of the ninth. So this is a quick quick game seven. We're moving. In the top of the ninth inning, Cleveland again threatened. After Antonio Alfonseca walked Matt Williams to lead off the inning, and some guy you've never heard of, <laughs> Sandy Alomar Jr., reached on a fielder's choice to take Williams off the bases, Felix Heredia... Gave up a single to Jim Thome, which would advance Alomar to third. So now what happens, uh, he gets pulled in favor of Rob Nin. So at this point, you're like, okay, Nin's coming in. You know, you got to shut the door here. Yeah. So Nin induced a ground ball from Grissom to Rentiera at shortstop, who elected to throw Alomar out at home. Smart play. Maybe could have tried for a double play. Double, but... Hey, you got the scoring right, man. You got right, the right. you know runners in scoring Which position. Come, come in key here. Yeah, uh, very yes, very much. Uh, thanks in part to the the great pick and tag by Johnson, he then got Brian Giles to fly out to end the inning. The Indians would send Jose Mesa to the mound to try and win the series in the bottom of the ninth inning. Moses Alou led off with a single, and Bonilla struck out swinging on a three-two pitch. Four strikes away from losing the World Series. 
Johnson lined a 1-2 fastball into right field, moving Alou to third. With runners on the corners and one out, some rookie from South Bend, Indiana, uh-huh. named Craig Council, fought off a low inside fastball from Mesa, lining it into deep right field. Manny Ramirez caught the ball on the warning track for the second out, but Alou easily scored from third on the fact sacrifice fly to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth inning. Although Mesa retired Jim Eisenreich to send the game to extra innings, his blown save would open him up for criticism for years to follow. Okay, and we'll, we'll touch on that more later. Nin struck out the side in the top of the 10th inning because now we're in extra innings. Game, God, how great is that? Yeah. Game 7 of the World Series and we're in extra innings? Yeah. Okay. In the bottom of the frame, Mesa gave up back-to-back one-out singles, and after striking out John Kanglosi, looking on a 3-2 pitch, was replaced by Game 3 starter Charles Nagy, who got a Lou to fly out to end the threat. Now... You're going to a proven starter. Not great, but solid. You're going to him as a closer. He don't close very well. He, right. Uh, I was looking for the stats that Bob Costas has said in Game 7, and I couldn't find it. I was going to put it in the notes today when I was tweaking everything, and I couldn't I couldn't remember where it was at. But Bob Costas on the television broadcast had a great line about um, this thing with Nagy closing instead of starting. Uh, anyways, after walking Williams... Leading off the top of the 11th inning, Jay Powell retired Cleveland in order thanks to a fielder's choice on a sacrifice bunt by Alomar, which Powell fielded and then threw out the lead runner at second, followed by Jim Thome's inning-ending double play. Nagy took to the mound to face Florida in the bottom of the 11th inning and gave up a single to Benia. Uh-huh. Oh, you're, you're, you're. Greg Zahn followed by attempting a sacrifice bunt but he popped out, and Bonilla barely yeah. made it back to the first base. And when I say barely... I'm, not, I'm surprised they're not pinch running for Bonilla right here. Jim Leland had said something about that when uh, I was watching the, um, the, the 1997 championship film. Right. right. Uh, and I don't remember what he said. There was something going on where he was... Yeah. There, I mean, I, it looked like Bonilla could bury... Yeah. Yeah. So, Council followed with a slow ground ball to the second base side. Bonilla stopped running for a moment so as to not touch the ball and be called out for interference. Fernandez, playing behind the base runner, misplayed the ball, and it went into right field. Bonilla then rounded second and headed for third. With runners now on the corners and one out, Nagy put Eisenreich on base with an intentional walk. An intentional walk to set up a potential potential inning inning double play with White coming to bat. So you're looking for the force out. Well, I mean they already had the double play in order with the first and third, right? So I mean my corners are in, so and what, my middle infielders are back there. So what's Hargrove thinking? I don't know. You're intentionally going to walk. Okay. So they're going to try to score on contact. So my corners are. In. I know what I'm doing. My corners are in, and my middle infielders at double play depth. Because there's one out, right? There is one out. And first and third. First and third. And he goes ahead and walks him intentionally. So to load the bases. On the first pitch of the at bat, Devon White hit a ground ball to second. 
Fernandez threw to the plate to force out Benilla and give the Marlins their second out. The next batter was Edgar Renteria, who took the first pitch for a called strike. On Nagy's next pinch, Rientiera hit a hard line drive back up the middle of the infield. The ball hit off Nagy's glove and rolled into center field. This scored Council winning the game and the World Series for the Marlins, and it is one of the most epic uh, images in World Series history. Council leaps like 10 feet in the air with both arms. Get in your Google machine machine and check it out. So the final box score, and then this is Kurt's favorite part. We get a whole bunch of breakdowns, and then we get one words. and uh, Cleveland, two runs. Florida, three runs. Cleveland had two errors in that game. Um, so, after the Game 7 trophy presentation, that usually takes place in the winning team's locker room, regardless of venue. It took place on the field for the first time ever before 67,204. Let me tell you a little fun fact about this. When this game looked like it was Cleveland's to win... By the 6th, 7th, 8th inning, whatever it was, they're setting up in the Indians' locker room. The trophy comes into the room. They're already taking the trophy out of the protected case. It's got a lock on it and everything. They're taping up the walls with plastic, like a murder-kill room from the the TV show Dexter. They're prepping for Cleveland to win the World Series. Then we go to extra innings. They they take everything (laughs) down and just decide they're going to do it on the field, okay? Uh, this is now standard procedure whenever champions are the home team of the deciding game, the only exception being in 1999 when the Yankees chose to celebrate in their locker room. It was the first time since 1962 that two teams alternated wins throughout the World Series. In only their fifth season of existence, the Marlins were the quickest expansion team to win and reach reach and win the World Series until 2001 when an Arizona Diamondbacks team beat the Yankees in their fourth year. Luis Gonzalez, anybody? Ooh. Uh, The party on the peninsula, as it was referred to, would soon end as Leland and the rest of the Marlins roster was bound for greener pastures. In fact, the following year... During the 1998 season, the defending champions would go 54 and 108. All right, puss. So for the World Series in total, in total, uh, the Florida Marlins won the World Series. They had eight errors, 68 hits. And 37 runs scored. The Cleveland Indians, five errors, 72 hits, and 44 runs scored. Now, how about those World Series stats, Puss? I know you love them. I love it. Yes. So who do let's uh, so who we got full? Oh, we got the Marlins first. The hitting statistics. So Moses Alou. 321, nine RBIs, three home runs. Bobby Bonilla, three RBIs, hit 207. Jeff 
Conine. Where did Conine do? Pretty solid, probably. 231. Really? Yeah. Be better than that, huh? Dutch Dalton was hitting 389. There you go. 389. Uh, was batting 500. Eisenreich could rake. Charles Johnson was batting 357. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um... Tell you guy, Manny Ramirez wasn't hurt for him. That, the first game, basically. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to him in a minute. Uh, Sheffield was batting two ninety two. Edgar Rintiera, uh, two ninety. Uh, that's about all the big ones I want to pick out. Now, World Series hitting statistics for the Cleveland Indians. Kurt. If you gave yeah. MVPs to the losing team, yeah. Sandy Alomar. Sandy Alomar. Hitting 367, 10 RBIs. Uh, let's look. Tony Fernandez, however, was hitting 471. Yeah. Yeah. Went 5 4 17. Uh, Marquise Grissom was hitting 350. Brian Giles was hitting 500. Uh, Matt Williams was hitting 385. Manny Ramirez hit a bumbling 154. Yeah. Chad OJ, the pitcher, hitting 500. Uh, Dave Justice. Dave Justice. At least 300. Man, no, 185. Really? Not a good World Series yeah. at all. Wow, Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey. Where are you at, Jim Tomey? 286. Okay. Omar Vasquez, 283. Uh, oh, I should have put this in. Collectively for the World Series, the Marlins were hitting uh, 272 with 34 RBIs and eight home runs. The Cleveland Indian, Indians collect. I almost said idiots. That's, that's about right. That's about right. <laughs> I thought he was going to say it. Cleveland was hitting 291. So, uh, you're telling me they got outscored, outhit, and they still won the World Series. Yeah. Uh, Pitching statistics. Could this be the difference right here? For the Florida Marlins. Collectively, as a team, their ERA was 5.48. Only managed 51 strikeouts, gave up 39 earned runs. Walks. Collectively, 40 as a team. Uh, the best, obviously the worst, would have been poor rookie Tony Saunders. He had a 27 ERA. Uh, inflation? Uh, <laughs> Levian Hernandez had a 5.27 ERA. Terrible. Very terrible. Um, Al Leiter had a 5.06. Yuck. Kevin Brown, 8.18. Uh, Rob Nin, 7.71. What? The numbers don't lie, folks. Now let's take a look at pitching statistics for the losing Cleveland um, Indians. Collectively as a team, 4.66 ERA. You're telling me. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. You're telling me they outpitched him, too. Yeah. And they still lost. Yeah. They had 48 strikeouts, 36 walks. Uh, Brian Anderson, 
had a 2.45 ERA. Kurt, I hate to tell you this. Oral Hershiser, 13 earned runs. Yikes. 11.70 ERA. Yikes. Yeah. He's done. 39 years old. Yep. Jose Mesa, 5.4 ERA. <laughs> Chad Ojai. 11.2 innings pitched, 1.54 ERA, 11 hits, 5 strikeouts, there you go, only gave up 2 earned runs. Jarrett Wright, 2.92, the rookie, Jarrett Wright, 2.92 ERA. So, where did, where was this game won at? Timely hitting? Well, that was kind of what I was going to ask you what your opinion of this was. Well, it's got to be Tommy hitting. I don't know what else it would be because they've been beating the run scored. Right. Team batting average and team ERA. Right. Closer? Bullpen? Maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm trying honest, to figure I'm, out I'm how, the, how the too. worst team on paper. Yeah, me too. And still managed to win. Considerably on what? Over a run ERA difference? Yeah. I, I'm timely hitting. Terrible defense. Uh, blown saves. How about missed fucking opportunities? Yeah. What, do you have a left on base? I don't have that one in there. Okay. Be interesting to know that. I don't know. They I'm should. Try, yeah, I'm trying to figure out where this game was, which was the deciding factor. I don't know. So, now, I mean, we're, this was one of our shorter recaps wise, and we covered that, the DS and the CS, but it's because there's so much dessert. We did the meat and potatoes. Yeah. There, there's so much dessert. So, you know, we're two and a half hours in, but we got a little bit. We got some dessert. So, Levian Hernandez was named. The MVP of the World Series. So not only did he get the NLCS MVP, he got the World Series MVP. And that's what I was talking It's a popularity contest. Because you mean to tell me that with a 5.27 ERA, uh, you know, he allowed eight earned runs, whatever, oh, but, but only hard. managed seven, you know. He's a Hey, and I get it. Like Castro's a cocksucker. I can say cocksucker, uh, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Cocksucker, yeah. Castro's a cocksucker. Makes me think of somebody sucking on a rooster. <laughs> I'm gonna I swear to God, I'm gonna get the tattoo one day. Right below my knee with a rooster with a noose around its neck and be like, got a cock hanging below my knees. Wow, that's not safe for work. Uh, yeah. But okay. So Oh. Mr. Doyle. Anyways, uh, Chad Ojai became the first pitcher since Mickey Lolich in 1968 to have at least two hits and two RBIs in a World Series. The Marlins won despite not having Alex Fernandez, who was their number two starter, that they lost after he had been pitching in the postseason and apparently had been pitching for weeks ending the regular season and didn't even know it. What? Now, here's what happens. Days later, days later after they win the World Series, let's go back up 
scroll up one more time. What was the date of Game 7? Let's go back up real fast one more time here. So, Game 7's date for the World Series went down on Sunday, October 26, 1997. That was Game 7, okay? So, October 26th. So, five days later... So on Friday, October 31st, most of the key contributors of that 97 Marlins team were traded, including Moses Alou, who was sent to the Astros, Al Leiter, who we will eventually talk about when we do the Subway Series, went to play for the New York Mets, in a fire sale so infamous that it has become to synonymize term in baseball. The Marlins would lose Jeff Conine to the Kansas City Royals in free agency, and Dutch Dalton would retire. Now, Hernandez would stay with the team for two more years. As I mentioned a minute ago, the Marlins would finish 54-108 and 108 in 98, the worst performance in Major League Baseball history by a defending World Series champion. As a result, these Marlins are mockingly referred to as the first Rena team to win the World Series. Uh, midway through the 1998 season, the Marlins would trade Jim Eisenreich, Bobby Bonilla, Gary Sheffield, and their number one draft pick in 1993, Charles Johnson, to the Dodgers for Mike Piazza and another guy, and I can't remember his last name, Todd. Todd, uh, Todd something. Zile, Zeal. Yeah. Yeah. Piazza would then soon be traded shortly after to the Mets in return for prospects. Leland, responding to reports that he would retire if the Marlins had won the World Series, um, told NBC during the celebration, my wife doesn't like me that much, I can't retire. However, uh, after their terrible 98 season, he would resign and he would manage the Rockies in 1999. Uh, and then would scouted several years uh, before joining the Tigers as manager in 2006, taking them to a World Series, which they lost to the Cardinals. Now, Marlins owner Wayne, uh, I don't remember how the fuck to pronounce it, Hunzinga, Huzinga, yeah. he would dodge questions about selling the team during the on-field celebration. He ultimately would sell the team to a guy named John Henry after the 1998 season. Henry, in turn, sold it to former Montreal's, Montreal Expos owner Jeffrey Laura in 2001 as part of a deal to purchase the Red Sox. Laura would return to return the team to a World Series victory, of course, in 2003. That season started with one of the 1997 players left on the roster, pitcher Rick Helling. Helling was traded midseason to the Rangers. However, the team traded with the Baltimore Orioles to get back Jeff Conine, and Conine would be the only 1997 Marlins player to participate in the 2003 World Series victory. Jose Mesa. Yeah. The failure of him to save Game 7 ultimately ignited a heated feud with teammate Omar Vasquez, which Vasquez would write in his autobiography, that he called him to his face. He was a choker. The two men ended their friendship of many years. Uh, Mason later vowed to hit him every time he faced him. Uh, although he did not actually beam Omar every time he faced him, 
He did manage to hit him with pitches at least two or three times over the years. Uh, so now the um, the Indians would go on to win the AL Central for three of the following four years. However, they would not return to the World Series again until 2016. Um, the core of the 90s Indians teams would break up in the early 2000s, most notably with Manny Ramirez becoming a Boston Red Sox in 2001 and Jim Thomey uh, joining the Phillies in 2003. The 97 Indians, of course, failed to end the Cleveland sports curse, which stood at 33 years since the 64 Browns. Uh, of course, we all know LeBron broke right, that curse. Right. Uh, the total attendance of 403,627 fans is the second largest in World Series history, uh, of course, trailing the 59 World Series uh, at the Los Angeles Coliseum. Uh, this was the first of two times in a five-year stretch where a Game 7 World Series ended on a game-winning RBI single. Did you know that Game 7 of the 1997 World Series was the second longest Game 7 in any World Series to date? Really? Really. I didn't know that. Okay. Cool. So now what? Oh! We gotta find out where ESPN says. Yes. So, uh... ESPN ranks this series leverage. What do you What do you say it ranks? Well, I've got it right here. Well, I know, but if you was to guess, if I, I was to guess, I was guess fifteen. You guess fifteen. If I was to guess, I'd put it top thirty. Yeah. I don't know. It gets. To, I've definitely put it top thirty. It's where I would have put it. Uh, the game leverage, which measures how close the games are and the running away, it come in fifty third overall. Okay. The series leverage, which is most important about the series. Came in ninth overall out of 116. This World Series overall in general, its overall ranking, I'll tell you in just a second. I'll go ahead and read you the quote. A fantastic series at the time, but the wrong team won. We knew it then, and it's still, we know it today. The Marlins were a pop-up contender built on a free agent spree. The club's owner immediately sold, while Cleveland, with a citywide sports championship drought to end, was an underdog story that had transformed from the punchline of the film Major League into a truly homegrown powerhouse. But after the Marlins won and then traded all of their players in a shocking fire sale, they become an unscrubbable blemish on the history of professional baseball. It's, it's not really like Cleveland had their own farm players out there. Or no. Well, I mean, Dave Justice, a long-time Brave. Grissom, a long-time Brave. Well, Puss. I mean, Tommy. I guess he came up a few Cleveland. Tommy did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her size a Dodger for a long time. Um, well, what's the, what did it rate at? Okay. Okay. Well, as I said, as far as the series itself, it ranks top ten all time. Uh, ninth overall. The game leverage. But how good the games weren't close? 53rd. Its total overall ranking of all 116 World Series in tw- by 2020, 83rd overall. <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it comes in 87th. Come on, man. Or 83rd overall. That should put it right after 
the 85 World Series, Dinkinger and the boys, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm looking at the I'm looking at the article right now. 84th, 84th overall should have been the 85 World Series. Yes. <laughs> and then So we've done yeah. World Series, it supposedly sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess what we're getting at. Oh well. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's pay one more bill and, and start to wrap up, and then we get to do our, our favorite thing. Uh, we got word association. I got a little. I got a little something I want to tell you about that. Keep in mind uh, what I said. Overall, eighty third. Okay, that's gonna tie in. But let's uh, let's shout out our let's shout out our girl here. So, guys, check out Nana's Aromas LLC in uh, Palmyra, Indiana, located in beautiful Harrison County. Uh, Nana, she hand makes every candle start to finish, even the labeling. Uh, she does air fresheners, she does warmer melts, uh, the works, and she does every batch in smaller quantities for better quality control. She sent us a free candle. I had to stop Kurt from trying to eat it. Uh, it was blueberry muffin. Uh, but she does quality work. She's an absolute sweetheart. She will ship all over the country. So check her out on Facebook. Check her out at nanasaromas.com on the interweb in your Google machine. Or give her a call at 812-972-3670. That's 812-972-3670. We love you, Nana. We love you, Nana. I'm going to send her a Christmas card. Yes. Okay, puss. Hattie, old girl. Where we at? Okay, so uh, I'm gonna put you in the hot seat. All right. And you remember, you don't. It don't have to be one word. It's right, just. Right. It's the first thing that comes to mind. The Cleveland Indians in the 1990s as a whole, from 1990 to 1999. Uh, unfortunate. Unfortunate. Okay. Marlins making their first postseason and World Series in just their fifth season. Uh, impressive. Impressive. Leviathan being named World Series MVP. It's a hot take. 67,498 fans in for game six in South Florida. It's a lot of babies. <laughs> Combined 25 runs scored between both teams in game three. Wow. Wow. Charles Nagy not starting game seven. Uh... Oral Hershiser in the late 90s. At the end of his career, yeah. You know what mine would have been? What? Tired. Tired, yeah. Uh, Jarrett Wright, 3-0 in the postseason, getting the start for the Indians in Game 7. Uh, I got to go with experience here. Right? I would go shocking. You know, I need to I need to get in on these sometimes, too. Yes. Jose Mesa, blown save, Game 7. I've seen it coming. He, unfortunate. Unfortunate, yes. Edgar Rientiera, series-winning RBI in Game 7. Exul- exhilarating. Ooh, word of the day. You know what I was going to say? What's that? Titillating. Titillating, yes. Who should have been World Series MVP? That's a good question. I don't think it should have been who it was. First one that comes to mind. I'm Moses Lou. Moses Lou. Probably what I would go with. Tony Sanders, twenty-seven ERA. 
Ouch. Seven hits in six runs. Ouch. Ouch. Career ending. Ouch. Yeah, ouch. Ouch. Darren Dutch Dalton hitting 389. Solid. Piss bucket. No, I can't do piss bucket. Solid. Solid. Expected. I mean, he's been there before. A young Manny Ramirez. Uh, Phenom. I mean, pretty good ball player. If you have one, if you have one weakness, it could have been his defense. He didn't put much stock in his defense. Non-existent. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah. Sandy Alomar hitting three sixty-seven. Wow, unbelievable. Ask me. Go ahead, ask me. Uh, Sandy Alomar hitting three sixty-seven. If they gave yep MVPs to the losing team, yep, he would have got it. Mike Hargrove. Uh, questionable decision. Questionable. Jim Leland. I'm glad for him. He deserved it. Grizzled veteran. Yes. The nineteen ninety seven World Series. Damn good series. Damn good series. Yes. Yes. Better than eighty third or whatever. Better than eighty third overall. Exactly. Come on, Sam Miller of ESPN.com. What are you doing out there? Yeah. Exactly. All right, puss. Uh, got what? Wait, damn it! Oh, I, I I forgot two more because it ties in. Actually, actually, I want to read you something, and then we're going to come back for a oh, bonus round right. of right. Uh, one word. Uh, dig me some bonus word association. Yeah. I borrowed this from MajorLeagueBaseball.com for a quarter century now, which would be this year, twenty twenty two. For a quarter century now. People have been asking Mike Hargrove how long it took for him to get over what happened in Game 7 of the 1997 World Series. And for a quarter century, Mike Hargrove has replied the same way. Just as soon as it happens, I'll let you know. (laughs) There's no getting over one of the most gut-wrenching losses in World Series history. Not in this lifetime, anyway. And so for Hargrove and the other members and fans of the 1997 Cleveland Indians that fell to the Marlins in the 11th inning of a crazy night in South Florida. Mere mention of 1997 is picking at an old, unhealed wound. It will forever be too soon. But as Jim Leland, the grizzled manager of the 1997 Marlins, once said, if that had been the Yankees and the Mets playing, it would have gone down as the greatest World Series in the history of baseball. If it had been the Yankees and the Dodgers, greatest series ever. But because it was us and Cleveland, it never gets the credit it deserves. I agree with that. So... Bonus. Bonus. Word association. ESPN ranking this 83rd overall. <laughs> Baloney. Baloney. Does it rank higher if it's big names, big teams, and big markets? Absolutely. Agreed. Yep. All right, Hattie, old girl. Yes. Puss. Puss. We got two weeks. What are we going to talk about next? What are, what are you in the mood for? There's all kinds of things to talk about. You want me to throw you some options? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things going on right now. Yep. Well, why, why don't I throw you some options? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we still got to knock out the OKC bombing. Yeah. We still going to knock out Killdozer. Yeah. Uh, we are, as I mentioned, we are now, now that we're doing World Series, we're starting to pick more anniversary series instead of just random all ones, right. which... Which we will still we will still pick random World Series at times, but we're on this anniversary kick of 
five and ten year intervals. So it's twenty twenty two. It would be any World Series ending in a two or a seven. So there's still some damn good World Series we could do. We'll call them our anniversary series okay. instead of just regular. So there's still some damn good anniversary series. Uh, we could do a full-blown late-night current events. By the way, as I've mentioned this before, I was asked recently, what is the difference between when you and Kurt Kelly do a current events episode and a weeknight chronicles episode? What's the difference? Well, here's the difference. A weeknight chronicles episode is just me and Kurt getting on the mic for an hour, hour and a half tops. We cut it off. Just talking current events. A full-blown current events episode is us doing the same thing, but we cover a lot more shit right. and we go way more in right. depth. So uh, we do current events. I am personally, and we have never, we have done this once, but different. We have one time went back-to-back baseball, but it was the ALCS, and then you're the Yankees beating my Phillies in 09. Right. I am so amped up and in the mood. I could potentially do another World Series. I'm down. Yeah, I so you want to do, do another World I Series? I always do World Series, yeah. Do you want to pick a random one, or do you want to do an anniversary series? Let's, well, I'll let, I'll let you make that call. Well, I, I don't know yet. Let me. You want to think we'll, about we'll, it? Yeah, we'll think about it. Because when we get off the air here, I start. Me and Kurt's going to go play a little wiffle ball mania for a little bit. The uh, yes. the uh, Kelly Sports Complex out here in <laughs> Alfordsville, Indiana, basketball twenty four seven and wiffle, wiffle ball man. It is a it is a wiffle postseason. Oh yeah. thirteen whatever yes, you call wiffle it. Wiffle yeah. thirteen postseason. Yes. Uh, who's currently winning? You or your child? Uh, that would be me. Oh, yeah. dad's taking the boy out to the woodshed. Well, I don't know. He's hanging in there, but like a hair in a biscuit. But you know, I heard he's got a nasty slider. Is he that got, true? He does have a pretty good slider. Oh man. So you've taught him everything he knows about baseball, but you haven't taught him everything you know about baseball. Yeah. yeah. Some things you gotta learn on your own. Some things you gotta learn on your own. Um one thing I do wanna mention, um and I just lost it. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Squirrel. No. Uh so yeah, there was that. Oh, I know what I wanted to mention, and if you will give me a minute to pull this up on the computer, I would like to share something with our listeners. Yes. Okay. Uh, I have my phone hot spotted out here in your uh, thriving metropolis. I would like to talk to our listeners about how great they are. Uh, ever since this after two beers thing, things have really started taking off. Kirk Kelly, yes, we have. It is uh, we are a half hour away from midnight, which will would make it ten twenty three. So right now at ten twenty two, we still have eleven days left. Nine days left in the month. I don't know. I can't do my math. Yeah, nine days. So tomorrow, it'll be eight days. For the month of October, from October 1st to right now, October 23rd, we've had 199 downloads for the month. Nice. Nice. Um, now, when I go look at our all-time stats to give everybody an idea, uh. Kurt and I come off our worst statistical month in a year and a half ever in June of this year where we had 34 downloads. Then that was when word finally got out. We were going to collaborate with After Two Beers. They started name dropping us, and we started putting out better content, I think. Um, We went from 34 downloads in June 2022 to 207 downloads in July 
to 222 in August. So we broke records right, back to back right. months. Uh, September, we dipped a little bit down to 190. And now for this, with eight days left to go, we are at 199. And our all time listens, uh, and we're getting international downloads a lot more now out of coming out of Canada and overseas. But as far as the United States go, we are picking up our most streamed traffic, obviously, here in Indiana. Everybody local that knows us. Right. We are getting downloads out of Ohio, second. California, third. California. Pennsylvania, fourth. Georgia and Maryland tied for fifth. Texas at sixth. And New York at seven. We got to know California. I know. I, I'm, 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 I seriously want to know, like I said, you know, if you if you follow me on Twitter, it's at the Atkins Asylum. If you follow the 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 podcast is on Twitter, we have a Steel Toad Scoreboards Facebook page. Kurt and I have been asking you this for months now, so we're begging you, please. Yeah, because I know that it could be possible that there's multiple listeners in California, but the way I look at these download analytics, we had a we had a single listener one day in California two or three months ago. Uh, it just a one day because it tells me how many number of people have listened on a particular day, and with all these downloads popping in the state of California and only one listener, and it was a, a good catalog purge of at least ten or twelve episodes, whatever. Whoever you are, please come forward so we can yeah. shout you out and yeah, thank absolutely. you because uh, you have just gone leaps and bounds, have climbed. Uh, Kurt's got a bunch of family in Ohio. They download the podcast a lot. Uh, hashtag tits, two idiots talking sports. <laughs> yeah. But uh, California's creeping in on them. There's only 10 downloads setting them, separating them two all time now. That's how much traction we yeah, picked up in Cali. With, get with us, man. Yeah, we will not make Democratic jokes about California anymore. <laughs> I promise. And I'll keep Kurt from saying buttholes and wieners. Uh, but seriously, though, we want to yeah. thank you guys. It's Absolutely. It's been honest. Uh and um, I've been putting in a lot of time. I've been popping out a couple of mini bangers here lately on my you, own. You and your uh, homie going to do another? A hockey podcast. So, yeah. So, uh, shout out my homeboy, Tyson. I don't know if he'll check this out. Him and I are going golfing tomorrow. Yes. Uh, he's a longtime uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Choke. Uh, <laughs> anyways, he uh, he you know wanted me to personally thank you for letting him. Uh, he, he hopes he did you justice. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. Uh, he I told him you didn't care, but it no. meant a lot to him that you would. Uh, so we were probably going to do another hockey podcast because he wants to. Um, and he loves the bitch about the pins. <laughs> As right. I look, uh, Kurt, what is hanging on your wall right there? Uh, pins jersey. Who? Uh, any jersey in particular? Uh, Sunquist. Hornquist, Hornquist, yeah. Hornquist. See, I told you, Tyson. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do a hockey podcast coming up again, another one he wants to. Uh, Doyle and I are supposed to collaborate eventually. He's been wanting to do NBA season preview. Well, that's done past. We couldn't quite get together with that, but we've been talking. You could throw some, something in NBA. Oh, yeah we, um, yeah, we can throw something in. The point is that there's been a lot of content coming out um, from Steel Toes and Scoreboards. And, uh, honestly, some nights I get the, it, the, the urge to record, and you're usually in sleep by that point, so – Right. I just yeah. put in the earbuds and I track out a mini episode of an hour by right. myself. Um, but uh, you know, we're still going to do full length. We're still going to try to do weeknight chronicles, me and you. But uh, we just want to thank you guys for listening. That's the big thing. This has been a, an awesome year, and I, and I tell you right now, 
when we started this a year and a half ago, if you would have told me that we'd still be doing it and we'd finally be starting to reap rewards, I would have laughed at you because I thought this was a pipe dream. Kurt and I was getting this equipment and it would fizzle out and we'd end up selling the equipment out within a month yeah. or two. And then it slowly started taking off the listeners. Two beers. After two beers, uh, a year and a half of me trying to promote this brand sometimes uh, very angrily because it just didn't track off the way I wanted to. But now we're starting to see it. Uh, and like I said, we're, we're at the point where any day now, God willing, uh, Podbean can come with us and start monetizing the podcast by putting ads for our show and other shows or people selling products and services across our show, which, sorry, guys, you might have to deal with an ad or two, but if it puts a couple bucks in me and Kurt's pocket and it at least pays for the thirty nine ninety nine a month podcast hosting, then it's worth it to me. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, other than that, uh, we're going to try to keep putting out bangers. Yeah. So that's where bangers. Bangers. Uh, one last thing. Got anything funny you want to think we should title this episode? I had a couple. Okay. I had a couple. I'll run by it. The first one was said, because uh, the Marlins got started in 91. That's when they put a bid in to open a, put a team in right. Florida. I thought about bid a market, build a team, <coughs> buy a World Series. Okay. Then I'm like, eh. I thought, then I thought about underdogs or rent-a-champions. I kind of like that. Underdogs and underdogs and rent champions. Yeah. So. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Yeah. That's kind of what this is. Yes. It won't be as good as Sweep Dreams and Dynasty. <laughs> which, by the way, that episode is tracked up. Shout out to everybody loving that episode. Like, obviously, nothing does better than our World Series recap. So that's going to be what yeah. we continue to do. But, all right, guys, for the homie Kurt Kelly. Uh, I'm Jared enjoyed. Atkins. Hope you all enjoyed. Yeah. yeah, I had fun, man. I don't get yeah. to see you every day anymore. It right. sucks. So right. I love when we get come out here and just shoot the shit. Right on. Hashtag tits. Two idiots talking <laughs> sports. But for uh, Kirk Kelly, Jared Atkins, this was an episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards, and we will see you guys next time. Peace out.